Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Here in Washington, a landmark $118 billion bipartisan plan to tighten the southern border and help pay for the war in Ukraine has collapsed. There's little sense and little hope that Congress can find a new way to respond to either crisis, the fallout of a frantic 72 hours of dysfunction on Capitol Hill. As migrants continue to cross, Congress is frozen in place. It shows up broken Washington, D.C. is. A U.S. Senate plan to stiffen border security, tighten requirements for asylum, and nearly shutter the border during spikes of migrant crossings had the endorsement of Senate leaders and a National Border Patrol Union. The motion is not a But it collapsed in a vote in part because former President Trump opposed it. Americans are ticked off that this is not resolved. The Senate then shifted to a new plan with tens of billions of dollars to help Ukraine and Israel, but no border changes. It'll face stiff resistance in the House. I mean, this place is just, it's just chaos, right? The failures happen a day after House Republicans came up one vote short in trying to impeach Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. The House could vote as early as next week on a second attempt to impeach Secretary Mayorkas, further inflaming an already fiery and gridlocked Congress. Following a number of breaking stories involving the U.S. military, including that drone strike in Iraq that the Pentagon says killed a high-ranking commander of Kataib Hezbollah. That is the Iranian-backed militia that is blamed for the death of three soldiers in Jordan. The United States says the commander killed is responsible for directly planning and participating in terrorist attacks against American forces in the Middle East. There have been 168 attacks on U.S. service members in Iraq, Syria, and Jordan since October. The strike targeted a single car on a busy street in the eastern part of the Iraqi capital. This is the first time since the deaths of those soldiers that the United States has targeted a specific person after a major strike last week against buildings and weapons depots. The president has vowed that attacks on these militia groups will continue as long as the U.S. military in the region is threatened. Secretary of State Antony Blinken's latest efforts to broker a new ceasefire and hostage release in the Israel-Hamas war hit a dead end. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu rejected a counteroffer from Hamas, calling the terror group's demands delusional. As war rages on, if the U.S. was hoping Israel's Prime Minister would be in a negotiating mood, would have been a disappointment. Benjamin Netanyahu has rejected a proposal by Hamas that includes demands for a 135-day ceasefire and the withdrawal of troops from Gaza in exchange for all the hostages. But peace and security require total victory over Hamas. We cannot accept anything else. And Netanyahu warned that while victory was close, it could still take months. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, now on his fifth visit to the region, appears to be going home empty-handed once again, despite his more positive tone. While there are some clear non-starters in Hamas's response, uh, we do think it creates space for agreement to be reached. 
wrong. But for Palestinians stuck in Gaza, who've already endured four months of war, a deal cannot come soon enough. And for the families of the more than 100 hostages still being held in the middle of that war, there is just as much at stake. It's been 123 agonizing days waiting for their loved ones to come home and worrying about their safety. Speaking today, some former hostages had bitter words for Netanyahu, saying that if the goal of destroying Hamas continues, Nora, there will be no more hostages left to free. The Supreme Court is taking up the 14th Amendment question. Mm -hmm. Did Trump foment an insurrection? Mm -hmm. Should he be taken off the ballot? Let's table the first part of that. Mm -hmm. But the idea of, of effectively defeating Trump by getting him off the ballot, do you mm -hmm. think that is a good endeavor or not? Well, I've tried to educate myself on this because it's clear that this uh, is not uh, a section of the 14th Amendment, Section 3, that a lot of us paid a lot of attention to yeah. in the past. Haven't had to. They haven't had to, thank goodness. Um, but there's a very strong argument. And remember, this argument did not come from liberals. It didn't come from people, you know, who already are against, you know, Trump <clears throat> at all. They came from conservative uh, originalists, as they like to call themselves, um, law professors, lawyers, who basically said, if you read Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, it's pretty clear that he should not be permitted to run for president. Nothing is more American than the Super Bowl. And at Mar-a-Lago, Fox News' Sean Hannity had a chance to talk with the 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. Mr. President, happy Super Bowl Day. Thank you very much, Sean. Thank you. I love sports. I think sports mirror life. You know, you gotta learn to win. Sometimes you don't always win. I know you're not sick of winning, is my guess. Um, but also, the harder you work, the better you do. That's very Americana. Um, what do you love about sports? Well, it is. It's sort of a little bit of a microcosm of life. You know, you have winners, you have champions, you have people that you expect to see that final play. You have great coaches like Belichick. Uh, you have people that you expect more out of. And oftentimes they produce. But then you have people that you just don't expect they're going to do it. And oftentimes they don't. It's a microcosm of life. They say that these are not the best of times. They're the only times I've ever known. And I believe there is a time for meditation in cathedrals of our own. seen that sad surrender in my lover's eyes and I can only stand apart and sympathize for we are always what our situations hand us and see the sadness or oh, euphoria For all our mutual experience, our separate conclusions are the same. Now we are forced to recognize our inhumanity. A reason coexists with our insanity. And though we choose. 
So we're going to see a classic example of sadness or euphoria coming up in three days in Las Vegas. Super Bowl 58 coming up this Sunday. The Kansas City Chiefs looking to win their fourth ever organization Super Bowl. The 49ers are trying to tie the Patriots and the Steelers. With six Super Bowl wins, the most ever. So one side will be experiencing euphoria, like Billy Joel talks about there, that great song, Summer Highland Falls. One side will be talking about sadness. We'll do a lot of Super Bowl talk the next two days. The man, the Pope, the sports Pope, the legend, part of that great Mike and the Mad Dog combination, Mike Francesa will join us coming up at 8.15 this morning. So you heard uh, the end of that open talking about the Super Bowl, Francesa, Chiefs, and Niners, was Donald Trump talking to Sean Hannity, and that was the last halftime Super Bowl interview that Trump did. Trump had no issue every year, whether it was Bill O'Reilly, Sean Hannity, or Lester Holt doing the halftime Super Bowl interview. And as we know, Joe Biden, for the second consecutive year, has declined. In fact, my dear friend Miranda Devine, New York Post, writes about that today, how Trump is not afraid, Joe Biden is afraid. And Miranda Devine may very well join me coming up at 9.15 this morning. But it is a, uh, it's a tradition. You know, look, I think there's a lot of traditions that are silly. There's no bigger sports guy than me. I made my bones in this business talking sports, and I'm still rabid, trust me. Yeah, I do politics on this show for the most part, but I'm still rabid. Rangers, Knicks, Giants, Mets, all of it. But I really do think that this tradition of being of bringing championship teams to the White House is a bunch of jock-snipping nonsense. And now... You know, the last decade or so with these guys begging out because they hate Trump or they hate Biden or they hate Obama. It's really watered down whatever John F. Kennedy and Richard Nixon seem to like in the first place. I think it's a stupid tradition. There's a lot of folks that should be lauded across this country. A lot. Not sports teams. And again, this is coming from a rabid sports guy. But these guys, to be honest, are a bunch of overpaid, whining douchebags. Half of them hate this country as it is. And the last place they belong is the White House. Go win your Super Bowl. Get your millions of dollars and all your commercials. And if you're, you know, Travis Kelsey, go get engaged to Taylor Swift and go away. They don't need to go to the White House. What the hell do they do for this country? Got a bunch of guys that kneel as it is during the national anthem. So to me, I think it's silly. but. The halftime interview I do enjoy, and Trump was great at it, and Biden won't do it now. Two years in a row. Any thoughts on that, Noam? Well, his advisors say it's voter fatigue, and that's why. Oh, no, it's they... not that. He can't carry on a conversation. Yeah. They have to write every word for him. If he speaks longer than three minutes, he starts to sound like a drunken sailor. Yeah, if you think about it, 
logically, why wouldn't you want a 10 minutes of an, uh, you know, of an audience of what could be 50, 60 million, maybe more? Watching? Not only that, but again, this game is on CBS. It'd be one thing if Fox had it, right? So, and Fox has their best share, Brett Baer, Martha McCallum. They're not hardliners. But let's say it was Hannity. Well, if you're Joe Biden, I get it. Even though, by the way, I saw Sean Hannity sit down with Bill de Blasio. He couldn't have been nicer. But this is CBS. All of them, Margaret Brennan, Gail King, Dickerson, they suck up to Biden. This is a friendly channel for Joe Biden. CBS doesn't go after the president. So, like you're saying, no, when you combine the huge audience and the friendly confines of CBS... What a coward Joe Biden is. Well, it leads to the suggestion that what everybody thinks, that maybe he's just can't do that anymore, a long-form interview. He can't. So then if he can't do a long-form interview, how the hell could he be the president of the United States? We've seen the last three years what a disaster that is. And yet you get these douchebags like Hillary Clinton. I'm sorry, John and Margo. I know you like her. I don't. I like her husband. I'm okay with Bill. I'm still okay with Bill, even after Jeffrey Epstein. But I can't stand Hillary. And again, on MSNBC yesterday, what a sore loser. My God, uh, uh, there's enough evidence out there. I've seen enough to disqualify Donald Trump. Really? I bet you wish that was the case in 2016 before he kicked your ass. Oh, baby, you won the popular vote. Fantastic. All the liberal scumbags in New York and California voted for you. What does that mean? She lost about 40 states. So she's on MSNBC yesterday saying that, oh, yeah, no, there's enough out there. He should be disqualified. That is nonsense. Let the voters decide who sits in that house on Pennsylvania Avenue, not the Supreme Court. And the reason why Hillary made those comments last night was because today is the day where the Supreme Court will be hearing uh, this case this possibility of banning Trump from the ballot, and this is directly associated with the state of Colorado. Isn't that right, Noam? Yeah, these are the Colorado justices, I should point out, all appointed by Democratic governors that ruled that the former president, in their words, took part in an insurrection back in 2021. Well, he didn't, but, but again, you know, he's been indicted for January the 6th, and Jack Smith, who would like nothing more, nothing more than to, to pin Trump for insurrection in this legal case was not able to do it because by the definition of the word, sorry, media folks, he did not do it. There's a legal case against him right now where the guy could not pin insurrection on him. Yes or no? Yeah. And and this is part of what the justices will no doubt grill this team from Colorado saying, look, the president hasn't been formally charged for insurrection. So how can you keep him off the ballot for insurrection if he hasn't formally been charged? By the way, Susan Brown Otto, my dear friend up in Bethel, where my mom lives, right by uh, the original side of Woodstock, says that Trump turned down the 2018 Super Bowl halftime interview with NBC. Do we know that? Uh, no yeah, that's two? right. That's correct. She is right about that? Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. So then you get uh, Dick Durbin, and he's got the perfect first name because he is a dick. Dick Durbin says that uh, Clarence Thomas should recuse himself because the whole thing with his wife, you know the whole history there. I mean, Dick Durbin, these people, do they realize how petty and sophomoric and silly and hateful they all sound to them, do they? Uh, No. (laughs) 
Yeah, they don't. Yeah, yeah, I guess not. So, what do you think happens here today? Well, we, you know, they have. They'll listen to these arguments. There'll be a back and forth Q and A. I think we'll be able to listen in. Normally, you're able to. You can't watch. There's no videos, but we should be able to listen in, hear what some of these arguments are. And the Supreme Court decision will come. They say before Super Tuesday, which is March 5th, when I think it's 15 states and all will go for the primary election. So that's the thought: is they'll have some time to think this out and make the decision before. Mar- uh, Super Tuesday. You know, you mentioned Super Tuesday, and of course, today is the Nevada caucus. Then we get South Carolina, where Trump is just going to destroy Nikki Haley. The last poll I saw, he was up by 26 points. But let's say Nikki Haley, because she continues to get Trump-hating money, decides to stick around and continue to embarrass herself. That's all she's doing. She's embarrassing herself. Did you see some of these numbers they put out in anticipation of Super Tuesday? Oh, yeah. It, I mean, it is not pretty. Uh, Alabama, Trump, 87%. Nikki Haley, 12%. California, Trump, 83%. Nikki Haley, 16%. And Massachusetts, Trump, 69%. Nikki Haley, 28%. North Carolina, Trump, 77%. Nikki Haley, 23%. Oklahoma, Trump, 88%. Nikki Haley, 11%. Tennessee, Trump, 81%. Nikki Haley, 18%. Texas, Trump, 84%. Nikki Haley, 15%. And Virginia, Trump, 78%. Nikki Haley, 19%. So going back to that very sweet Jewish elderly couple on the ferry that I keep mentioning months ago that were yelling at me how Nikki Haley's got the best chance to beat Biden and she's got to win. And I yelled back at them, and I've been yelling about this for months. Nikki Haley is a joke. She may raise money, and there was a time in the polls, if you believe these polls, because they're all lying and they desperately want Trump to be out of it, so they said, oh, Haley has a better chance. She doesn't have a chance of beating anybody. Now, Trump... Not Biden, not my son in his race for his high school president. How about that? (laughs) You know, there is campaign chatter this morning over the last 24 hours that Nikki Haley may pull out of this race even before South Carolina. She needs to. Not she doesn't want to be embarrassed in her home state. Right. And that, you know, obviously the writing's on the wall and that uh, Republicans have come to her and say, look, look, you're getting in the way of. Donald Trump beginning to narrate what he's going to do for the general election, and you need to get out. So there is some thought that she may pull out before South Carolina even happens, and that's February 24th. I mean, if you are a Nikki Haley fan, which I can't help you if you are, God no, God help you. But if you are, and she has any designs, any designs on having a political career after this, she needs to get out. She needs to get out. The longer she stays, the more she's turning off. I don't care about the donors giving her money. I don't care about that nice Jewish couple. The overwhelming percentage of Republican voters like me hate her at this point. To me, she's no better than Joe Biden. She needs to get out. If she has any designs in 2028 or after that, who knows, she's still a relatively young lady, get out. That would be my advice to Nikki Haley. I had the same advice for Ron. He did it right right after Iowa. See ya. 
Vivek, right after Iowa. See ya. Nobody cares about that stupid Chris Christie. But Nikki Haley, the longer she stays in this, the more she damages her future as a legitimate candidate for the Republican Party. Agree or disagree? Yeah, well, there's a 2028 because if, if no matter who wins, whether it be Donald Trump or Joe Biden, it's one, it's four more years, and then it's all new candidates. So if she's thinking about making making a run in 2028, she's got to think about that now. Agreed. All right, a lot more to cover here. Noam Layden, always coming up big for me, huge. Big Lou playing some Billy Joel. Everybody keeps bothering me to play the new Billy Joel song that he, de- he debuted with Jim Kerr a couple days ago. Maybe we'll do that at some point. We've got a great guest list today. Michelle Eskenazi will join us at 645. She's the bail bonds queen, not the cocaine grandmother, which I watched episode two of Griselda last night, but the bail bonds queen coming up at 715 this morning. He's the best. Nobody better. I mean that sincerely. Curtis Sliwa. We'll talk to the great 1Q Law Team partnership of Stephen Razor and Thomas Knipp. They represent Daniel Penny, amongst others, live in studio coming up at 745. 8.15, the Sports Pope, part of the legendary Mike and the Mad Dog combination, the great Mike Francesa, talking Super Bowl 58. 845, the big one, Bill O'Reilly. And then at 9.15, either Miranda Devine or Nancy Mace. It's a huge Thursday show. Huge. John Denver talking about the Supreme Court decision in Colorado. The late, great John Denver, Rocky Mountain High. Rocky Mountain High. Rocky Mountain High. Silver clouds below. He saw everything as far as you can see. And they say that he got crazy once and he tried to touch the sun. And he lost a friend but kept a memory. Now he walks in quiet solitude, the forests and the streams, seeking grace in every step he takes. Inside has turned inside himself to try and understand the serenity of a clear blue mountain lane and the Colorado Rocky Mountain High. I've seen it rain. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning, entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Thursday morning, huge 8 o'clock hour coming your way today. Mike Francesa and Bill O'Reilly. 
Hey, Noam, give me uh, the story on these uh, five missing Marines out there in California. What's the story with that? Still missing. They went missing on Tuesday. They were aboard this CH-53E. It's a super stallion helicopter. They were flying from uh, Creech Air Force Base, which is right outside Las Vegas, to uh, Marine Corps Air Station Miramar, which is in San Diego. They never made it there. The <laughs> helicopter was found, though, in Southern California's Pine Valley. And uh, it's about 30 miles east of where they were supposed to land. The weather has been just horrible. I don't know if you've been following this in California. I mean, they've just been drenched with rain. Some places getting like 12 inches of rain over like a 48-hour period. Vegas, too, you know. Yeah. yeah. So that might be hindering the search for these five. The military not releasing what the condition of the helicopter is, so we don't know. But this is one of those, like, muscle helicopters. It can carry tons of equipment, lots of people on board. In this case, it was five. They found the chopper about 9 o'clock yesterday morning, California, so like noon our time. But so far, no word on the condition of those five or whether they even found the five that were aboard the chopper. You know, before I get to the, uh, thank you, you know, the Israel stuff with Netanyahu, who was uh, gorgeous yesterday, just gorgeous. Curtis is going to join me as he does every weekday. He's been out there in Times Square trying to uh, handle these illegals and well, you know, he does yeoman's work every day, but he made me aware of this story, which I think you covered. I know you did know him in your news hour today. 91-year-old New York man, Hyman Silverglad, very Jewish, walking on East 86th Street near First Avenue about 10.30 a.m. last week, February the 1st. He was knocked down to the ground, and a bunch of guys started unloading punches, as uh, one guy did, as he tried to grab Silverglad's wallet but the assailant ran off empty-handed when the old man began to shout. And he went on to say this guy, Hyman, who I love dearly, I would have kicked his ass if I was a few decades yeah. younger. Well, what is this story? About? It is horrendous. I mean, who goes after a senior citizen? Thankfully, they have really good pictures of this creep who attacked him. Black so, or white? Uh, you know, it's funny. I don't remember, but yeah. I can go like and look. Because I know last week when I was in Israel, for example, uh, on the Upper West Side where I used to live, some guy took off some guy's yarmulke and was running down the street. But this uh, Jewish guy was brave. He, he chased after the guy, and the guy was calling him the F word, which right. is synonymous with homosexual, the bad guy, of course. And the Jewish guy kept filming him, just give me back my yarmulke, please. And it turns out the guy was a black guy. Yeah, I, I don't remember. I'll go look and see. But um, in this guy's case, uh, he's a cancer patient, right, at a local hospital. I mean, he's been sick. He fought back because he didn't want to give up his wallet. Uh, in the process of fighting back, six ribs were bruised or broken. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he's back in the hospital. They have to do all kinds of medical care for him. His son last night was speaking out, you know, begging the police to find this guy. Uh, Curtis just told me that people in this neighborhood, this is, you know, Upper East Side, are asking him to send patrols in because they're afraid yeah. until this guy is found. Jeez. That's where John and Margo live, I think, too. So John can uh, take care of that. Let me get to the Israel stuff from yesterday. This uh, traitor, Anthony Blink. The Secretary of State. And this is where Mark Levin and I agree wholeheartedly. You know, Levin and I talk almost every day now, every day. This uh, Israel disaster has brought us so close. And again, he's sending me a video today because he's not going to be there at the Fifth Avenue Synagogue on Saturday night. Neither is Alan Dershowitz. He's down in Florida. But these guys are sending videos congratulating me on getting this very coveted award. Trump may do one, too. But uh, so I talk to Levin almost every day. 
And we both agree this Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, is a traitor. I want to make it very clear to you folks, and if you hate me, I don't give a rat's ass. If you are asking for a two-state solution, if you are asking for these Palestinians to have their own land, Hamas or not, you're a traitor. You are a traitor. You don't understand. You're also stupid. You don't understand history. You have not followed the history of just how long these people, yes, Palestinians, oh, there's good ones. I'm sure there are. These people have been killing my people. And this ass munch Blinken continues. Yesterday I met with Habas. Met with Habas? They should put a bullet in Habas's head. This guy's no good. Met with Habas in Ramallah in, a, in an attempt to once again find a home for the Palestinians. This is what this guy's worried about. And in the meantime, they're putting an undue amount of pressure on my guy, Bibi Netanyahu, every day. This poor bastard is trying to save the country. You got the hostage parents in the middle of Tel Aviv yelling at him every day. You got Joe Biden yelling at him every day. You got Blinken uh, trying to do a deal with the Palestinians. This guy's trying to save the country. They're in trouble. Wars everywhere. And Hezbollah pointing 150,000 rockets ready to destroy Israel in a moment. And Bibi's taking slack, flack, I should say, flack from all these people. So the latest proposal from Hamas is a 135-day ceasefire. 135 days. Draw all your troops out of Gaza, and we'll give you the rest of the hostages back, even though we have no idea at this point how many of those 136 are still alive. Netanyahu said, (laughs) suck my bang. Here's Bibi, cut number seven. His answer for the Palestinians. Tonight I want to speak to you about total victory. Our security and the prospects of peace in the Middle East depend on one thing, total victory over Hamas. At the start of the war, I outlined three goals. Destroy Hamas, free the hostages, and ensure that Gaza doesn't pose a threat to Israel any time in the future. Achieving these goals will ensure Israel's security and pave the way for additional historic peace agreements with our Arab neighbors. But peace and security require total victory over Hamas. We cannot accept anything else. That doesn't make him insensitive. That doesn't mean he doesn't care about the hostages. That hasn't stopped the former hostages and hostage families from just killing Bibi every day in Israel. What do you want the guy to do? He can't do both, folks. He just can't. And this nonsense about what happens a day after, were people asking that after we dropped two atomic bombs in Japan? No, folks. They weren't asking that. They hate the Jews. They hate BB. Everything is difficult, including coming from this country. So we talked about the day after the war, what happens in Gaza. Here's BB Netanyahu, my guy, cut number eight. When people talk about the day after, let's be clear about one thing. It's the day after all of Hamas is destroyed. Not half of Hamas, not three quarters of Hamas, all of Hamas. And once Hamas is destroyed... We need to verify that Gaza is demilitarized, that we stamp out any attempt at the resurgence of terror. And history has shown that only Israel can do this by having overriding security control over Gaza. What does that mean? 
it means that Israel will be in Gaza or act in Gaza at any place, at any time that is necessary to ensure that terrorism doesn't rear its ugly head again. Gaza must have a civilian administration staffed with those who do not support terrorism, fund terrorism, or indoctrinate their children with terrorism and the goal of destroying Israel. In fact, we should seek the very opposite, that school children in Gaza will be educated towards peace, that they'll be educated towards coexistence. Not teaching these kids, as they do now at a very early age, that demonizing Jews and killing Jews is a good thing. Yes, those are the innocent Palestinians that are learning that. And guess what? They're no longer innocent. Whether they take a gun to a pizzeria or a bus stop in Israel or not, they are no longer innocent. They're hateful. But because I've had the opportunity to talk to this lady twice, and I'm a father myself, my daughter Ava, my son Gabriel, I couldn't imagine the horrors that these parents and families are going through with these hostages, assuming they're alive. I couldn't imagine what these people are going through every day. And I did have the opportunity last week to sit down in Jerusalem. She was on this show for about 30 minutes. I believe it was Tuesday with Rachel Goldberg. Now, Noam, Goldberg came out yesterday. The report came out that there's not 136 hostages, that Israel has said at least one-fifth, which amounts to about 31, are dead. That may be a conservative number if you ask me, but at the very least they're saying at least 31 are dead. And I think they went as far as contacting those families. Is that right, Noam? Yes, so the information we have is not from the Israeli government. It's from the New York Times, which says it spoke with intelligence officials that say 31 of those hostages were killed. And then you had Rachel Goldberg on TikTok yesterday answering questions, and she said she had not been contacted by the Israeli government, but she knew that other hostage families had been, that their loved ones might be among the dead. So that's as much as we know. When I sat down with Rachel in Jerusalem last week, Noam, She was uh, very confident based on what she believes, her daughters believe, her husband believes, that somewhere, somewhere out there, Hirsch Goldberg is still alive. If you missed that conversation last week, here's a portion of that where she talks about just that. This is Rachel Goldberg with me, live from Jerusalem last week. Lewis, cut number 10. You've shown tremendous courage, and and even with me these two times, a meeting with a person is just, you're an extraordinary woman. You really are. Um... And I know that you're confident, and I am too. I really, I mean that. And I love the fact that your daughters keep telling you he's coming home. But in your darkest days, there's got to be moments, almost every day, where you, at the very least, toy with the idea that he's never coming home. And that, that's it. Um, and your daughters maybe get you out of it, or your husband, or I'm not sure what it is that day, but how often do you deal with that possible despair? Is that a daily thing? You know, it depends. There's always these fleeting moments throughout the day because when you're in so much living in a universe of unknown, your mind can't help but go to scary places. And on the other hand, I really, I really believe. I really believe, first of all, I really believe in God. I really believe in Hirsch. And I really believe that he's alive, 
and that he is going to come home. Let's all hope so. Rachel Goldberg right there with me in Jerusalem last week. Traffic with the great Joe Nolan coming up next, but right now it's time for the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day. Get the whole story in under 10 New York minutes. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast and get the max out of mini. Today's minicast is my guy. We had a great lunch yesterday celebrating Brian Kilmeade, his his uh, holiday lunch over at uh, Bobby Vans, the really good one there by uh, by Grand Central. And John was there, and Margot, and Chad, and Emily, and a host of us. It was a great time. It was great to see John. John, uh, part of that great Cats and Cosby show, 5 p.m. every weeknight, alongside Rita Cosby, who also showed up yesterday. They uh, they uh, talked yesterday with the former speaker. I love this guy, Newt. Gingrich. Last night, uh, it was 24, uh, 214 to 216. What happened? Um, so what they did is they switched one of the yeses to no because it had been, if it was lost on a tie, it would be permanently gone. But by losing the way it did, they're now in a position where they can literally bring it back up when they have the votes. And that's where, for example, uh, next week's a uh, special election in New York is so important because mm. if the Republicans win mm-hmm. that, uh, they will then have the one extra vote. This is Sid on Sports. Oh, my goodness. Sponsored by Fearless Boilers on 77 WABC. Justin Ellick here with your bottom of the hour sports update sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Boilers. Go to PeerlessBoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers on the ice at the Garden. Jimmy Vesey scored twice, and Jonathan Quick made 18 saves as the Rangers beat the Tampa Bay Lightning 3-1 to last night for their third straight win. Johnny Brzezinski also scored for the Blue Shirts, who won for the second time in three days after the All-Star break. Quick has started both of those games. The Rangers are 4-1-1 and in their last six, and at 38. Jonathan Quick became the oldest goaltender in Rangers history to win three straight games. He also defeated Ottawa 7-2 in New York's last game before the All-Star break on January 27th. Last night was his 387th career win. Uh, to, that's good for 15th on the all-time wins list. BC gave the Rangers a 1-0 lead as he roofed a backhander past uh, Vasilevsky at the 115 mark of the middle period. Brzezinski increased the lead with his third goal uh, with the, just over two minutes remaining in the second, and then BC sealed the win with an empty netter with just over a minute remaining for his 11th of the season. The Rangers were coming off a 2-1 overtime win over Colorado at home on Monday. After an off day yesterday, the Islanders and Devils will return to the ice Tonight, for their uh, or at their respective home barns in Newark, the Devils will drop a 7 p.m. puck with the Calgary Flames before the Isles get going against the visiting Tampa Bay Lightning at 8 p.m. No action on the hardwood last night, but the Knicks and Nets both return to the court for respective 7.30 p.m. tip-offs tonight at the Garden. The Knicks will welcome in the Dallas Mavericks while out in uh, Brooklyn. The Nets will be hosting the Cleveland Cavaliers and the trade deadline today for the NBA, 3 p.m. Keep a close eye on that. Sports sponsored by Pete Morgan and Peerless Spoilers. Go to PeerlessSpoilers.com, PavilionTankless.com to find a dealer near you. They're the world's best-built boilers. I'm Justin Ellick on 77 WABC. If you've had an accident, trust Gabo Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabo Law has recovered millions for their clients and will be able to help you. But don't take our word for it. Read all of their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabo Law today at 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email at 
at info at GoboLaw.com. Gobble Law, where winning is no accident. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. I see. Sit in friends in the morning. 77 WABC. Please open the door. Nothing is different. We've been here before. Pacing these halls. Trying to talk over the silence. And pride sticks out his tongue. Life's at the portrait that we become Stuck in a frame, unable to change I was wrong I'm late, but I'm here right now Though I used to be romantic I'd forgot somehow Folks, new Billy Joel. He debuted this on my friend Jim Kerr's morning show, Q104.3, last week. What's the name of this song, Lewis? It's called Turn the Lights Back On. Turn the Lights Back On. Billy Joel. Good stuff. He sounds good. I like it. I got a big, big show coming up, Berks. Again, Curtis Sliwa, the awesome law team combination of Thomas Kniff and Steve Razor. We'll also talk to Miranda Devine. She wrote a story in today's New York Post about how Donald Trump was not afraid to do the Super Bowl halftime interview. And for the second straight year, Joe Biden has declined. And a huge 8 o'clock hour about to come your way with Bill O'Reilly and Mike Francesa. But our first guest this morning, you know, I love nicknames. I've been uh, really immersed the last couple of nights, Netflix, watching Griselda. And Sophia Vergara is doing a great job. Sophia Viagra playing the cocaine godmother. That's a good nickname. My next guest, that's not her nickname, but she's got a nickname. She's the bail bonds queen. Jennifer Harrison loves her. She's making her second appearance on this program. She is the president of the National Association of Bail Agents and the president of the New York State Bail Association. Again, the bail bond queen, Michelle Eskenazi. Michelle, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Sid. How are you? Welcome back. Uh, nice to have you back. Thank you. Uh, listen, I, I read your uh, op-ed a couple days ago in the New York Post. It's entitled, By Letting Cop Beating Migrants Go, New York City Looks Like the Biggest Dupes in the World. And here's why I love it. Because I have spent the last couple of days yelling and screaming, what a phony and what a disgrace the governor is. 
She's mm. coming out now. She, I'm um, trying to tweak bail reform. She's coming out now. She's mad at Alvin Bragg for letting these migrants go. When, as you point out, and I've been saying for days, hey, you don't like Alvin Bragg? No one does. Guess what you can do that no one else can do, Governor Hochul? You can fire him. But she doesn't do it because at the end of the day, she needs Alvin Bragg to help take down my friend Donald Trump. She's a phony. She's a liar. And I'm glad not once but twice you point that out in your op-ed piece. Well, thank you, Sid. Yeah, I mean, you and I both, everybody in New York that, you know, it's from New York, everybody that's in New York knows that that's the truth. And if somebody was up in Albany that was working for her that wasn't doing a good job, they'd be fired in 3.2 seconds. And here he is. He's really not a prosecutor. He's a criminal defense attorney. You know, I always say when you sign up for sanitation, you got to do the garbage job. You know, if you're a prosecutor, you got to do the prosecution job. Obviously, the Soros money is going through his head, his veins, everything, and he doesn't really care about prosecution. He's a social justice warrior. She knows it, but politically, it's not good for her to do. No, it's not. And uh, whether it's Letitia James or or that guy, Bragg, what an embarrassment New York has become. And, and maybe I'm a little partisan because I love Trump, but if you're really rational about all of it, that's the case. I mean, the migrant crisis here is a disaster, and that is all because of Democrat policies. Cuomo, Governor Hochul, Eric Adams, despite him yelling and screaming, he's full of it, too. I mean, you just can't trust any of these Democrats. They have ruined our cities, our states, our country, especially here in New York. I mean, we look really bad. Yes, Michelle? We don't just look really bad. We actually are really bad. I always tell people, Oh, you want to go to New York City? Don't. Spend your American dollars elsewhere. You know, when I was a kid, we used to take the trains. When I was 14 years old, we used to go into the city. My daughter, my youngest, is 22. If she goes into Manhattan from the Long Island Railroad, I have a heart attack. Yeah, I, know. I want to send the bounty hunters with her. She's like, Mom, I'm like, no, no, no. I'm serious. I don't want anybody that I know and love. Anybody should be in New York City unless they absolutely have no choice. They have destroyed our once great city. What about these migrants, uh, which I call illegals? I don't even like the term migrants. I certainly despise asylum seekers. God, I hate that. These are illegals. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of them, I'm sure, are fine people to sound like Trump. But now we're starting to see uh, too many, for my liking, too many examples of violence. You know, we had the uh, these guys beating up cops in Times Square a couple of days ago. Uh, they've done more than that. In Brooklyn or on King's Plaza, they're committing uh, robberies and uh, illegal acts almost every day. The idea that they're all fine, nice young people. First of all, the majority of these folks that come here are males. They're not families. They're not women and children. They're males who come here to cause trouble. So what do you think is the answer to what's become a huge mess? Well, I mean, I take especially, you know, big time exception to this issue because my family came here from Cuba legally. You know, my father died as a Korean War veteran. So this issue really, really pisses me off. You know, the government, you and I both know they could do something about it. Biden can just stop it. But he doesn't really want to because he's given them free credit cards. And he, I guess well, let me, they, let me they, stop they, they, you right there, because I've heard that before, too. I know the answer, but I have to assume that everybody does. And you're right. When you say Biden can stop it, he can. But just give my audience how we can do that. 
Well, I mean, he has the executive authority to do it. I mean, he's the CEO of the country right now. I mean, it's unbelievable that that's where we are in the, you know, in the broad spectrum of time. But this old guy, he has the authority to do it, and he won't do it because he's going to make them all – he's going to give them voting abilities. And I guess he thinks that they're going to vote for the Democrats, or maybe they will. You know, I just don't trust any of what's going on right now. And, you know, they are illegals. They're not migrants. And what they've done to the interior of our nation is disgusting. And when Trump becomes the president, I can't wait to watch him deport, 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 deport on a daily. Can't wait to flip the news on. He's going to do that right away, right off the bat. Uh, Talk to me about, uh, you wrote about this too in your op-ed piece in the New York Post, the blatant disrespect for the police. And this didn't start in Times Square with the illegals last week. We've been seeing this. Really, uh, since the summer of 2020, that was that was when things got exponentially worse for my friends, the cops, who I love dearly, and they love me as well. The whole George Floyd nonsense, that loser, that lowlife scumbag, he was murdered. I feel badly for that. Uh, but you know what? The cop in Minneapolis is in jail. In fact, four of them are in jail. So it wasn't like it was a crime that was unpunished. And the fact that we turned this country upside down for this career criminal who put a gun in a pregnant woman's stomach is disgusting. But we did it. We did it back in 2020, and it's never really come back for the cops. What about the disrespect? The disrespect is off the charts. I mean, let's face it. I'm a kid from Brooklyn. When we grew up, we always said, you know, good morning, sir. You know, we were always raised right. And in these days, there is no raising kids right. There's none of that. There's not. They just walk around, and they're social justice warriors. They have no idea what they're doing. And the disrespect is off the charts. And these illegal aliens... They are obviously extremely violent, and if they would have done something like that in their own country, their legs and eyes would have been cut out. So the fact that they're over here disrespecting our NYPD, our precious NYPD that has the crappiest job in the United States because they can't fight back. Imagine if NYPD, like the old days, would have fought back. They would have beat the crap out of these guys. But if they would have beat the crap out of these guys, I guarantee you – Brig would have grown a pair, and he would have prosecuted them, 100% said. No argument. In fact, uh, in this column, there's a picture, if you look at it online, of uh, some illegal brat kid giving the finger to the cops. That is uh, Mm -hmm. really grotesque. Well, listen, great to catch up with you, Michelle. Thank you, as always. uh, Your piece in the New York Post is great. Great job with me as well. You're going to keep coming back because uh, you speak my language, which is we love the cops. We're sick and tired of the illegals. We're sick of Democrat rule in this city. We can't stand Governor Hochul. She's a liar. So you keep coming back, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Sid. You got it. Take care, Michelle Eskenazi. Once again, the the uh, what do we call her again? The um, the bail the bonds, bonds queen. queen. Oh, baby. What are you the king of? If she's the bail bonds queen. And Griselda was the cocaine godmother. What are you, Justin, the king of? I, I guess I'll assume the uh, the position of being the king of... Um... Oh, man. We'll get back to you. Boo <laughs> is not ready. Oh. 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 The king of, I'll be the king of going... Th-
No, that's a, a <laughs> terrible indictment on myself. I don't want to. I don't want to disparage. Uh, I'm the king okay. of going through the motions. All right. We'll, uh, we'll the give me some more. The king of indifference. Yeah. I'll, be the, I'll, be the, I'll be the king of the bare like minimum. The absolute bare minimum. Yeah. We'll, uh, king we'll, of leave me alone when yeah. the day is over. <laughs> we got Curtis Sliwa and the great, great attorney combination of uh, Tom Knipp and Steve Razor stopping by next hour before Mike Francesa and Bill O'Reilly in the 8 o'clock hour. But first, before Noam gets to the news, some more of Billy Joel's latest Billy Joel's brand new song. I'm late, but I'm here right now. Is there still time for forgiveness? Won't you tell me how? I can't read your mind, but I see you now. As we're laying in the darkness, did I wait too long to turn the lights back on? I'm here right now. Yes, I'm here right now. Looking for forgiveness. I can In the morning. For my friends. 77 WABC. song that was playing in the background when Tommy Lee and Pamela made their video. <laughs> this is Motley Crue, folks. Is that right? Is that really? No, I'm kidding. I don't know. Vince Neil celebrating a birthday today. Give me some more of this. Some, some Motley Crue. Come on. How old is Vince Neil today, Louis? 61, so he's, what, he's 63. 63? He's I like Motley Crue. You know, it's a great song. They've got some, I mean, Tommy Lee was a bad, he was a jerk-off. Real, real dick, but but I kind of like him, I guess. I don't know. He's got a very, very big pee-pee, so. Just unbelievable, that video. I was astounded. All right, man. It's finding a new generation of viewers, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Talking about new generation of viewers, I told you I've been um, just uh, captivated the last couple of nights by Griselda on Netflix. Sofia Vergara doing a very good job playing Griselda Blanco. Pablo Escobar once said, the only man I ever feared was a woman. And that was her. For about 25 years, 
from the late 1970s to the early 2000s, she ran the Medellin cartel out of Miami. She was tough. She killed a lot of people. She was a mother by day and a ruthless coke dealer by night. And this uh, special is great. She had a bunch of nicknames, including the cocaine godmother. Then moments ago, I had Michelle Eskenazi on. She's the bail bond queen. So that compelled me to ask Justin, what are you the king of? And uh, he didn't have an answer, but fine. Uh, but Curtis, the great Curtis Sliwa, Rip and Reed, noon every weekday, overnight weekends with me every morning about this time. The icon, the legend, Mr. Guardian Angel, kicking people's asses in Times Square every night. You seem to have an answer for what Justin is the king of. Oh, no doubt. The king of the fallen eagles. <laughs> because I couldn't believe he led his sportscast yesterday with the fact that the fallen Philadelphia eagles are going to be playing in Brazil. Nobody cares. Exactly. So I called up our chapter leader in Rio de Janeiro who speaks Portuguese, so I had to have an interpreter. I say, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles are coming to Brazil to play American football. He goes, what's that? <laughs> uh, and Justin let off the sports report during Super Bowl week talking about the uh, fly Eagles fly. No, crash Eagles crash going to Brazil. They should stay in Brazil. They, they stunk out the year. And you know why? What did I say? You said it was the course, a curse, I should say, of Norcross. And I think you're right. They couldn't win a game afterwards. That, and, and again, for our listeners, here's George Norcross, big market, Democratic uh, leader, owned the Philadelphia Inquirer. He has an executive booth. Shamuel Hefe, Chris Christie, who is now Orca the Killer Whale. He's been assigned to SeaWorld down in Florida because <laughs> he never got a shot at Trump. And it, here it is. He puts up a small American flag next to an Israeli flag. And the Jewish owner orders uh, security to go up. They dragged him out. They banned him from the Philadelphia Eagles stadium. And they lost every game thereafter. Pretty much. Yeah, and not did. only lost. Yeah, they got came in a humiliating yeah. way. And they Justin. were 10-1. and one, So I do agree with you. Yeah, Justin, he loves football. I, I love Justin like my own son. But it's stupid already. He's in New York. He's not in Philly. The owner, who is Jewish, what he did spit on the Jewish people. I just spent a week with Justin in Israel. Exactly. He's a great Jew. His uh, aunt is great, Aunt Sherry, his Uncle Benny, his mom and dad are there right now. He's got to grow up a little bit. He's still in that stupid stage where I love my Eagles. Eventually, he'll get to the, the grown-up part where you go, you know what? Yeah. Football's going to take a back seat to bad stories like that. But and, he's not there yet. And, you know, we've been discussing tough Jews. Who's tougher than Hyman Silvergrade? 91 years old. <laughs> I love this guy. On the Upper East Side, 86th and 1st Avenue, it's 10.30 in the morning. We're not talking like 3 in the morning. 10.30 in the morning, and this monster, this miscreant, this cretin with chromosome damage, comes up, tries to snatch his wallet. And Hyman Silvergrade fights him off. <laughs> He's on the ground. He suffered six bone fractures, a fracture of the lower spine. He has cancer. He has kidney failure. Luckily, finally, three women who are, he said, my angels, none of the men jumped in. None of the men. Remember, this is 1030 in the morning. This is just a few blocks away from Gracie Mansion, uh, the mayor's residence at 88th Street and East End Avenue, which is loaded with security, as any mayor has security there. And he said nobody would help this guy. And then he's in his hospital bed, 
and he's saying, I'm out of here. I want to go either to Texas or I want to do Aliyah in Israel. In Israel, yeah, I saw and, that. And again, what did I tell you? You are safe. You were safer in Israel than you would be in the streets or the subways in New York City. I've done four interviews since I went to Israel. Three in Israel, including JNS. You know, your sister, Maria, does a fantastic job oh, yeah. with Alex and JNS. And I have a big, big story coming out uh, thanks to Dory uh, Walker uh, in uh, in this Sunday's New York Post. And in every one of those, I say what you just said, which is I felt safer even in the Arab quarters than I would getting off the two train at 3 o'clock in the morning. And Times Square, look, you see right now I'm donning this beautiful red sweatshirt, Rockaway Republican Club. I oh, wore this oh, last God. week in Jerusalem. When I was on Steve Bannon's War Room show, when I did the uh, the Israel News piece on the back, it's got a beautiful Ronald Reagan quote. Now, unfortunately, due to family stuff for me and other stuff for Curtis, neither me or Curtis made it last night to see our dear friends Margaret Powers, the lovely wife of Paul King, running against Gregory Meeks, or Mary Glynn, who runs that club. But we're very proud of both Mary and Margaret, and we love those folks. We'll go to the next one. I promise I couldn't make I think, it. I think I spoke to Mary. I told her I couldn't come. Dealing with Times Square, but I, I will be speaking, I think, in March. I'm oh, going to solidify that good. down. But I'm going to go with you, but you couldn't speak, like you said, because of Times Square. What is the latest with that? Oh, last night uh, I was out there patrolling as we patrol every night, and I was joined by, if you've noticed him, he is the uh, police analyst for Fox News, Paul Morrow. Paul Morrow? Oh, old-style cop from that area. He used to patrol Times Square. So we're walking around, and we're like on memory lane, you know, dealing with three-card Monty, all the marks and victims who were tricked into trying to find the money card. I bet you you went for that, Sid. I bet you you went for that. Come on, that was at a time where you could pass up a bet. No, they got me. They got me once or twice. And then uh, back then, the mutts and scales, you know, during the era of crack working, every con game, hookers, pimps, porno palaces everywhere, guys doing bait and switch. I mean, I was euphoric, and we were walking around, and then naturally we focused on the migrant issue. And what the police have done is they've pushed them off of uh, the Dukes, 42nd Street, and they all congregate now at 41st Street behind the entrance to the old Mickey D's. Remember, that McDonald's yes. used to be the biggest McDonald's yes. in the world. They never made a dime there. They just wanted it for the signage, even though they were selling Big Macs, fried strawberry shakes. By the way, double Big Mac, fries, and uh, a Coke. 18 bucks now. Isn't that unbelievable? Is that Biden economics or whatever he calls <laughs> yeah. that stuff? 18 bucks. He does call it Bidenomics. Oh and it's a mess. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. I looked at that and I said, you got to be kidding. Who can afford this? Do you get any change off $20? And people lined up. I want the double big man, the double big man. But anyway, we're walking around. And it's bad. Sid, our, our city is slidden into the abyss. It is so bad. And well, wait talking- a second. That can't be true. Because give me this uh, article right here. Because you showed me something this morning which spits right in the face of what you just said. This is the AM Metro in New York. You know, I used to write a sports column for them years yeah, ago. Yeah, that's a free paper. I get it. Yeah. Every On the Monday, train every day. Monday through Thursday. My friend uh, John Yastremsky, former WFAN host, wait, wait, wait. he writes the sports now for them. Not- Related to the greatest Polish no, no, athlete, no, not, Carl Yastrzemski from Suffolk no. County. Carl Yastrzemski spells it with an Y. John Yastrzemski spells it with a J. Wait, wait, you broke my bubble. Between Carl Yastrzemski, right, yeah. and Stan Musial, you had the two greatest Polish 
baseball players of all time. American League, Yastrzemski. National League, Stan Musial. And by the way, the Yankees could have had Yastrzemski. Yes. Short True. porch, right True. field. Yeah. And they passed on the guy who a potato farmer in Suffolk County out near Riverside, Riverdale, <laughs> yeah. whatever the hell it is. I think his grandson is still on San Francisco. But regardless, this story in the Metro reads... New York City streets have gotten safer under Vision Zero. Good. That's good news. Especially if you live in a white area. Wait. What does that mean? Hold on a second. (laughs) I've never seen a headline like that before. (laughs) New York City streets have gotten safer under Vision Zero. Well, that's good. It benefits everyone. But that's in different font, different color. And then the bigger font in deep black is... Especially if you live in a white area. Well, what's that mean? I don't know. Give me a white, I guess, people, Park Avenue? Or? People will cross. Let's go to Beach 116 All Street, right, let's do that. where I was last uh, week. Okay. you got to make sure people, whites, blacks, Hispanics, yeah. they cross the street there. It's heavily trafficked. Homeless, illegals. Right. Yeah. What, what would happen? <laughs> so That's a predominantly white area, right? Yeah. That's before you get no, to no, no, Harbor. No, 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 it's not. No, it's not. Uh, the truth is, yes, Bell Harbor and Neponset, right? those are white areas. 116th Street is like 96th Street and Broadway. It's a disaster. Yeah, but the point is, is like, who cares whether it's a black area, Hispanic area, white area? This is something we could all say, hey, less car accidents, less people getting hit by cars or trucks. But they had to put this singer in, especially when you live in a white area. Could that be any more divisive in our city? Could that force any more white people out of here saying, oh, my God, even when there's good news. But wait a second. Isn't the mayor black? Wasn't he going to make life easier and better for his brothers and sisters? Oh, my God. Let me tell you something. The worst of the many bad things he's done that I'm getting more grief about. On his behalf, not my behalf, because they're saying, yeah, you were right, Sliwa, you were right. Uh, back in August of 2022, you you sounded the alarm. Oh, all these migrants coming in being welcomed by the mayor. Him giving out snap cards with $1,000 on that debit card to be used for food every month. And you know how they manipulate a snap card. I mean, that's like currency in the streets. So the brothers and sisters are like, what? Are our snap card, some of them who have a snap card are saying, we get half that amount. Half that amount. Now, that could be a homeless person. That could be a emotionally disturbed person. That could be a black veteran who served in peacetime or wartime who's down on his luck. Half the money on the debit card, the snap card. And Eric Adams has no problem giving more of our money to the migrants. More. He um He's not having a very good time. But I have to tell you this. I, I don't hear from him. I don't see him. Uh, I don't really see a lot of them even in the media. I don't know. It seems like he's uh, he's going very, very quiet. Do you see a lot of them in the media? Very, very quietly away. He's hunkered down. He's lawyered down. The walls are closing in. Well, do you still feel like this is a very important conversation now? Yes. Because, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that keep talking about Pullman. You told me last week in Israel, you never told me the, the whole story. That there's at least one, maybe more, deputy mayor, others in the Adams administration that is upset with me, even though I've been good to Eric for the most part, because I talk a lot about Cuomo. And there's this misconception on the streets that Andrew Cuomo, maybe Adams feels this way too, is only going to run if, in fact, Adams is indicted, has to go away. Now, I don't know the answer to this. I swear to God, I don't. But I'm telling you, that's wrong. 
My prediction is, and I know I'm right, Cuomo's going to run no matter what. Whether Adams is in prison or still the mayor, Cuomo's going to run because Cuomo wants to get back into politics. And right now the polls say he's going to wipe the floor with Eric Adams. He's not that friendly with Eric, trust me. Not that friendly where he's going to say, oh, I don't want to hurt my friend. So my prediction is no matter what happens to Adams, Cuomo's going to run against you. Well, look, March 15, the Ides of March, right? Cuomo's not friendly with anybody who stands in Cuomo's way. He'll turn him into a speed bump. Look at what happened to Governor David Patterson, my husband-in-law. <laughs> Did you hear that on the... Suzanne Miller. Suzanne she Miller did a good show. job, yeah. He yeah. acknowledged yeah. that yeah. the reason he didn't do a hokal and actually run for the governorship when he replaced Elliot Spitzer, unexpectedly, you know, gets the call, you're the governor, what do you mean? <laughs> Spitzer's yeah. resigned, he doesn't want to go to federal prison for breaking the Man Act, transporting women across state lines for the purposes of prostitution. He's the governor, you would think he would run again, right? Yeah, no. First time running? No. But Cuomo was the attorney general, and he said on the interview, David Patterson, that I, I, I feared I would be indicted. Yes. Now, who's going to indict him? <laughs> well, listen, Adams has those same paranoid feelings today. Well, because, because his Biden, inner circle his inner right. circle has ratted him out. They rat to me all the time. So, yeah, not only that, but he thinks Biden is after him. He yep. thinks everybody's after him. So, so with, with complete confidence, you're going to tell me that you really believe, and you're right about almost everything, in your heart of hearts, that Eric Adams, which Greg Kelly said many years ago, will not live out this campaign, not live out, not be able to serve out this campaign. Well, I never said that, serve out. Well, Remember, Greg Kelly did. I know, but he's looking now, their team, Team Adams is looking at, hey, look what happened to Trump. Look at all the charges, the indictments. Look at what happened to Bobby Menendez in Jersey. Second time around, he's been indicted. He's still running. You could continue to run. And then they're shooting craps and saying, you know, if Trump becomes a president, because if the election were tomorrow, Trump trumps. Biden, you know, Trump will probably remove Damian Williams, who is the, I mean, he's a headhunter now, U.S. attorney for the Southern District. He's like Rudy used to be, like Prefahara. He's a public integrity guy. He took out 70 people in NYCHA and chains and shackles for corruption and kickback. They're saying, you know, Damian Williams, like all U.S. attorneys, have to hand in their resignation on the day of, let's say, Trump's inauguration. You know Trump doesn't want Damian Williams at the U.S. Attorney's Office in the Southern District. So they figure if they play it out and they delay and they delay, who knows? Eric Adams might come back for another day to take care of the migrants and school all of us. That's the playbook from Team Adams, where in Brownsville the other night, Eric Adams said, Hey, this is Chocolate City, USA! Oh, my God. Playing the race card again. Eric Adams' complexion, he thinks, is his protection. Guess what, Eric? Not this time.
is sit in friends in the morning. Seventy-seven WABC. We're in Moscow tonight. We're here to interview the president of Russia, Vladimir Putin. We'll be doing that soon. There are risks to conducting an interview like this, obviously. So we thought about it carefully over many months. Here's why we're doing it. First, because it's our job. We're in journalism. Our duty is to inform people. Two years into a war that's reshaping the entire world, most Americans are not informed. They have no real idea what's happening in this region, here in Russia or 600 miles away in Ukraine. But they should know. They're paying for much of it in ways they might not fully yet perceive. The war in Ukraine is a human disaster. It's left hundreds of thousands of people dead, an entire generation of young Ukrainians, and has depopulated the largest country in Europe. But the long-term effects are even more profound. This war has utterly reshaped the global military and trade alliances, and the sanctions that followed have as well. And in total, they have upended the world economy. The post-World War II economic order, the system that guaranteed prosperity in the West for more than 80 years, is coming apart very fast, and along with it, the dominance of the U.S. dollar. These are not small changes. They are history-altering developments. They will define the lives of our grandchildren. Most of the world understands this perfectly well. They can see it. Ask anyone in Asia or the Middle East what the future looks like. And yet the populations of the English-speaking countries seem mostly unaware. They think that as nothing has really changed. And they think that because no one has told them the truth. Their media outlets are corrupt. They lie to their readers and viewers. And they do that mostly by omission. That's Tucker Carlson. Tucker is going to do an interview with Vladimir Putin. I guess you'll see that later. I have no idea where he's not on Fox News anymore. He's still doing that stuff for Elon Musk on X. Where are Noam? Yes. Where can people see this Tucker Carlson, Vladimir Putin interview? You have it correct. It'll be on X. Yeah, I'm not watching it. He's releasing it. I just don't care. I don't care. I mean, I just, you know how I feel about this Ukraine stuff. And Tucker's a lot smarter than me, but I just don't care. I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of spending money on it. I'm tired of uh, hearing from Zelensky. I can't stand him. And uh, I'm not going to watch it. So. No, how about that? Well, you know, he's been interviewed a bunch of times. Oh, it doesn't Putin? seem to be. Yeah, none of the interviews are very earth-shattering. So I imagine this will be the same. Yeah, he doesn't say much, does he? No. no. Anyway, there's more important stuff going on today than that, and that is uh, my friend Donald Trump, who uh, the Supreme Court in Colorado is going to hear... Well, I'll have a hearing today as to whether or not to keep him on or off the ballot. We all know, of course, it's un-American, unconstitutional, and an absolute joke we're even having this discussion, but we are. And I know I asked you this about an hour and a half ago, but it's worth asking again, what do you think happens today, Noam? Well, the, we'll hear the oral arguments from these judges in Colorado who made these this decision to keep him off the ballot. When They're you all... say you're hearing oral arguments... Yes. 
<laughs> That's what they call them. As opposed to what? Well, sometimes they use Anal puppets. Anal organs? No, I'm they, just curious. I don't they use hand puppets sometimes, so this <laughs> yeah. time it's going to be oral organs. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That's kind of like a uh, general consensus. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure why I threw that word in there, but maybe because I heard someone no, else no, say you it. No, know, people do say that all right. the time. I just, it's funny to me. So. <laughs> so, yeah, so they'll make these arguments today. I will point out, these judges who made this decision in Colorado, all appointed by Democratic governors, and uh, the president, former president, has never been formally charged with insurrection, which is the reason they state they're keeping them off the ballot. Yeah. So that'll be all what the Supreme Court judges here today. Thank you, Norm. Big 8 o'clock hour coming your way. After Razor and Kniff, we're going to have Bill O'Reilly and Mike Francesa, the legendary Mike Francesa, Mike and the Mad Dog, coming up. Mike will be here in about 35 minutes. O'Reilly, 845. Mike will be talking Super Bowl a couple of days away now. Super Bowl 58, second time in four years. The Chiefs will take on the 49ers. Only difference is, as I mentioned yesterday, four years ago, Garoppolo was the quarterback for the 49ers. Now it's Brock Purdy. And the Niners are the favorite, but they're not going to win. So all these people like Takapina yesterday, Niners are going to win. Well, they're not going to win. But uh, either way, Mozzie Pillip who's got her big race on Tuesday, that special election, in an effort to replace George Santos against Tom Swazi. Do you know that Mozzie Pillip's Super PAC actually put together and paid for over a million dollars a commercial during the Super Bowl? Did you know that? Yeah, they have a lot of money invested in it. You know, it's special election, so it's the only race that's going to happen next Tuesday. There is a poll out, though, this morning from Siena College, which is not good news for Mozzie Pillip. She's down four points to Tom Swazi among like. Well, what voters. poll is that? Siena College. Well, you can't trust Siena College. My God, they can't even play basketball all no, that that's well. true. They're not very good <laughs> yeah. at basketball. So here is the uh, the pro Mozzie Pillip Super Pack advertisement you're going to see during the Super Bowl where she rips Tom Swazi. Take a break from the Chiefs and the 49ers. Here's Mozzie Pillip. Cut number 15. Can you afford Tom Swazi in Congress? In Washington, he proposed a new $450 billion tax hike to support Joe Biden's liberal agenda. As Nassau County Executive, Swazi raised taxes by hundreds of millions of dollars. And to top it off, Swazi pocketed a $65,000 pay raise for himself. Tom Swazi, soft on illegal immigration, but tough on taxpayers. All right, there you have it. You're going to hear that and see that during the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday. Mozzie Pillip over Swazi. You know, Francesa lives in uh, Manhasset. He lives in the same community as Bill O'Reilly and Mike Breen and Anthony Scaramucci, all those guys. So he should be taking interest in this Pillip Swazi race. I guess I could ask him that, but I know he's coming on to talk about the Super Bowl, but Mike is entirely capable of discussing a variety of topics. So, isn't that right, Lewis? Wait a second. Well, let, let us look at the <laughs> results. <laughs> you, know, right you, now. You, you can't be doing Mike voices when he's coming on in 30 minutes. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, that was a real good <laughs> joke, yeah. You know, funny. Uh, we are going to talk well, to... Well, 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 <laughs> Shut well, up, Lou. Well, well, Tom well, Knipp well, and well, Steve Razor joining us. Then you get to Mike O'Reilly. And in the 9 o'clock hour, Miranda Devine, who wrote a great story in today's New York Post, how unlike Joe Biden, Donald Trump is not afraid to do a halftime interview at the Super Bowl. So you get Francesa, O'Reilly, and Devine. This is Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. 
complete freedom, baby. That's um, these guys' jobs is to make sure that their clients enjoy Sweet Freedom 750 on your Thursday morning. Again, big hour coming up next with Mike Francesa, WFAN legend, part of that great Mike and the Mad Dog show for so many years. And Bill O'Reilly, both coming up next hour. But uh, in my studio right now, I've got two guys who I love and respect immensely. One of those guys is, uh, well, he served us uh, proudly, and that is uh, Thomas Kniff, and the other is his partner, Stephen Razor, and uh, two really hokey, good-looking guys, by the way. <laughs> and uh, you guys know who they are because uh, Daniel Penny, of course, is on trial because this douchebag, uh, corrupt Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg, this racist son of a bitch, uh, took this hero Marine and um, and has made this uh, trial into rather a, a New York hero saving lives into a whole racism nonsense. He's got a grand jury and just one of the many things Alvin Bragg has done wrong along the way. So you two guys have gained notoriety because of that. But the truth is, uh, you guys have been doing this uh, since long before that. Where exactly, I'll start with you, Steve, where did uh, you meet, Tom? How did this whole relationship start? Met at the uh, DA's office. Uh, we were actually there under... Judge Janine Pirro is D.A. Pirro at the time. No uh, way. So small world. So you for worked sure. for Judge Janine? We did. Now, yeah. you know, she's on this show every Wednesday. Her and I are very, very, very tight. And mm-hmm. I love her. I think she's the best talent on Fox News. Well, we love her, too. But she Absolutely. looks like if she's in a bad mood, she could be a bitch on wheels. <laughs> so <laughs> be honest. How'd that go with Janine? I'll be honest. She was a great boss. I have All to right. say she's she is the best boss I ever had, and she's been a great friend over the years. Um, so we we absolutely we're the big fan club still of Judge Janine Pirro. Um, so we love to uh, see her and uh, occasionally even get on her show here and there. Oh, she's so, the best. Yeah, so Tom and I, we met there. Uh, we started working. We just happened to share the same office. Uh, Tom was in appeals. I was in uh, pretrial motions. So uh, we got to know each other there, and eventually we moved on to trials. And then what I did, which was very smart in order to – Get to know Tom a little bit better. I invited him into the military, and I showed him how to get in. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, is that true? Did you actually oh, serve? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, oh, you yeah. did? Well, I served with Tom. So oh, you we, did? we basically went in together, so we went to officer basic you course together. You got a recruitment together. bonus for bringing yeah. me in. <laughs> you I should have. I, mean, I should have. This guy's I, been in for almost 20 years. I, I know. I haven't seen a dime of a referral on that. I know you've got a beautiful <laughs> wife. I think her name is Emily, right? Emily, she is right. beautiful. But you guys, are basically, attorney, you guys are basically married. You serve together. You work together. You guys are basically married. <laughs> Basically, yeah. I guess you could say that. I didn't. I never thought of it that way. Thank you for yeah, saying well, it you in that are. terms. You know, when I first <laughs> came minded here at Razor yeah. Kniff. Right. Well, you say Razor Kniff, it's funny you say that because when they brought me back to New York, and they brought me back to host the Midday Show with Bernard, you know. But Bernie is, uh, God rest his soul, he was a legend. He worked with Imus. He had been here for 20 years, and I was a rebel coming back, you know. So we sat down. We actually talked about the name of the show. They said... If you're okay with it, we're going to go with Bernie and Sid. I go, I, I couldn't care less. Come on, give me a break. But I miss would always break my balls and go, clearly Bernie's the driver because <laughs> his name is first. And in your example, it's Razor and Kniff. So is it 50-50 or are you, Steve, the real boss? Well, what it is is it sounds a lot better, Razor and Kniff. Otherwise, <laughs> it, it sounds. Does. <laughs> it does. Right. Does it sound a lot better for you, Tom? Maybe no, for Steve. You know, do you want to do Kniff and Razor? Kniff and Razor. Sorry. Well, sorry. But it's I, 20 I years of hearing Razor and Kniff, so that sounds intuitive. That but sounds I'll tell you a quick story. It was actually a blind co- uh, coin to us. You oh, want to okay. talk about... You know what? That was a secret. Okay, you're saying this on the air for the first time. Trust heard it here, right? We were yeah. on the phone with each other. We're like, what do we want to call it? Kniff and Razor, Razor and Kniff. I don't know. 
I said, you have a coin? Go toss a coin and let me know. I'll call heads. He called tails. And, and, That's how know. it happened? But I, well, tr- you know, I trust him. I, I didn't well, verify. You well, know? no, this is really true, though, because this shows you the level of trust that mm-hmm. we have. And I literally did flip that coin, and that coin landed on the floor. Sure and you t- did. <laughs> yeah, by the way, it was a 200 See, coin. You can't have buyer's remorse. No, <laughs> by, by the way, you, can't, you cannot change the fact that Kniff and Razor is not a good name. All right, okay. fair <laughs> enough. So we go with the Razor and Kniff. Uh, before we take our first break, we'll get back and talk about uh, Penny and the city. Well, you guys did both serve in Iraq, so you tell yes. me, Tom, what was that like? So the the experience. I mean, we were, I remember we were talking about this. I think on Veterans Day, said. I mean, you look back on it, and you know, obviously, it, it altered our lives. You know, I mean, we would I, the, we would not be here today, sitting across from you, if we didn't have that experience. Yeah. Um, you know, it was difficult when we were over there. Um, there were people that we served with, very close, someone very, very close to Steve who didn't come back. Oh, boy. Um, so, you know, we're just in Baghdad. Where were you guys? We were in Tikrit. Tikrit. Saddam Hussein's yeah. hometown. So, yeah. you know, you put it all in perspective. I mean, for I, I, I tell everyone, um, and, I, and I know Razor would say the same thing. It's like, you know, as, as much as I gave, I got back tenfold in return. Mm. Never planned it that way. Never thought it could happen that way. Um, I think the average Iraqi over there loved Americans, supported what we were doing. I think the difference is where, you know, we have that Western, you know, give us liberty or give us death. That mindset doesn't really pervade in that part of, no, of, part course of the world, not. in my opinion. You know, um, last week I was in Israel, so one of the nights I was invited by my friend Yehuda to go to a barbecue. So people don't realize this, but the Israelis are also fighting in Judea and Samaria, not just Gaza and the possibility of a fight in the north. There's big fights in Janine right there. So 200 soldiers had just served four months, and they came home, and they threw them this big barbecue up by Gush Etzion, and they invited me. And I spoke to these soldiers, and one by one, they didn't just shake my hand, Stephen Thomas. They kissed me, they hugged me like I was a long-lost relative. It was so gracious, and they couldn't wait. They couldn't wait if they're coming home that night for the next assignment. I'm always stunned by the patriotism, by the love of land, by the love of religion, by the love of freedom that all you guys share, whether it's you and Steve in Iraq or these IDF soldiers in Israel. It's like talking to the same guy. And you all, you all are ready to go back tomorrow. Knowing full well, you lost friends. These guys lost friends. But if you were young enough and able enough and they asked you to come back, you would both go back, wouldn't you? Absolutely. Proud to serve. And, uh, you know, if your country calls on you, it's it's, it's what you do. Um, we, we were younger and in better shape back then. <laughs> You're actually in really good shape. I'm not sure any, I mean, you both look great. No, yeah. no, no, no. I'm not sure anybody yeah. in the military wants. Yeah. Now, by the way, they got you. Tom said very quickly I would go back. Steve sporting a very nice suit looking like a million bucks. I live in a great life in New York. You weren't so quick to say you go back. Would you go back? No, no I, I, you know, honestly, Sid, I, it, one of the interesting things about this journey has been that, you know, when Tom and I were in the DA's office, we used to, uh, we did debate the uh, Iraq war, whether or not we should be going in. Uh, Tom was very much in support of it. I very much was not. Yeah. Um, well, but, you were right. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. Tom. <laughs> well, and, you know, the reality was for me, though, that because uh, I did actually volunteer to go, but it was never with the idea that the overall mission was something that I really believed in. But what sure. I believed in was our fellow soldiers and supporting sure. them right. and getting them through a difficult time. Well, you have to understand a lot of guys in Vietnam felt the same way. Like, right. what the hell are we doing here? But they right. still fought because that's your job. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back again. One of the most high profile cases in a long time in this 
Kansas City. Daniel Penny will get to that. Plus some more with this unbelievably great one-two combination. Razor and Knip. Steve Razor and Thomas Knip. Need an attorney today? Call these guys. We'll be right back. Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. All right, back as we start the 8 o'clock hour. Good song, Lewis. Don't forget Mike Francesa and Bill O'Reilly coming up this hour. The one-two punch of Steve Razor and Tom Knipp, the great law firm here in New York City. And again, you guys really gained uh, much of your notoriety. I knew you before because... You ran Thomas against Alvin Bragg, and I had you on the show. And my God, <laughs> what a disaster that turned out to be. How much better off would we be in this city if Thomas Kniff was actually the DA and not this racist scumbag, Alvin Bragg? But anyway, uh, let me move on. So you guys gained notoriety with this Daniel Penny case. And I said from day one, I've never stopped saying it, Daniel Penny's a hero. If you don't believe me, Al Sharpton, Eric Adams, and the rest of our black leaders, ask the black lady who said on the train to Thomas and Steve and to the court that this man saved her life. Ask the black man that assisted Daniel Penny in, in getting Jordan Neely, who was probably drugged out of his mind to the ground before he really did hurt or kill somebody. Just ask people inside your own community what a great person he was, a white Marine. But it doesn't matter. There's a grand jury, a trial, all this nonsense for nothing. Uh, tell me, I'll start with you, Steve, anything new on this Daniel Penny case? Well, I mean, what's new is that we're continuing to prepare for trial, which is, it looks like it's going to be in the fall, most likely October, I would say, potentially September. So all that we're doing now is, you know, we're preparing the evidence, we're preparing our case, uh, we, we've developed our trial team, and we're going to make sure that Danny gets a fair trial. Uh, which is important. I know he loves you guys. To get a fair trial, and I know you believe this, we've had this conversation, I really believe this, there's got to be a toxicology report. There was a lot of rumors that this kid Neely was doing drugs. I forget the specific drug, maybe ketamine, I don't know, but that he was doing drugs, a lot of drugs. And people said on the train that day, from what I read, he looked like he was spaced out of his mind, making him even more dangerous. But last I spoke to you, there was still no toxicology report. Yeah, so we, we have toxicology. You do. And as expected, um, he tested positive for K2, which K2. is a yeah. synthetic cannabinoid. Say that three times well, fast. Doesn't that help but, your case immensely? Well, absolutely. You know, it helps in a couple of ways because the law in New York is such that even a lay person can identify and form an opinion about someone who appears to be under the influence of drugs or alcohol, right? Uh, you don't have to be an expert to make an evaluation or a police officer to say, hey, this guy looked high as a kite, right? And those observations were made by our client, you know, at, at the time of the incident. He repeated them in the aftermath. Um they are also corroborated by the individuals on the subway car, which, as you pointed out, said, you know, all different races and colors and creeds. This is a New York City subway car, right? It's, 
Yeah. It has anything, it has diversity. Yeah. They all corroborate that he was acting in a manner consistent with someone who was just completely unhinged. Right. Then we get the toxicology report. Um, and by the way, it's, it's known that, that uh, Jordan Neely had a history of using these synthetic drugs, which would be incredibly dangerous. Uh, you know, the lawyer, the, the, the lawyers for the other side went out and said, oh, you know, the fact that he had marijuana in his system. He didn't have marijuana in his system. He had a cannabinoid, which is basically, yeah. Yeah. you know, whatever they can, can, can concoct yeah. to make this stuff. You never know what's in it. And there's been cases all throughout the country where people have, you know, just done insane things on it. Of so, course. so that, that, that's going to yeah. be part of the case. I think there's a lot more to the case than that and a, and a lot more to the, to, and a lot more favorable things to the, to the defense, but certainly that's a, that's a, that's an ingredient. Well, one of the uh, criticisms that was uh, leveled at you guys, not from me, I think you guys are the best, but, uh, another attorney once said to me, you know, I just saw Daniel Penny speak on Fox News. The guy's great. The guy makes a better case for himself than Steve or Tom could ever do. Why didn't they interview him, the grand jury? Why wasn't he put up there to speak? And and that would be the one of the criticisms, because I, I imagine when this thing does go to trial, he is going to be up there, right? You're going to put him on the stand. Why Why would you wait for then? If if back then, way back then, he could have made a very good argument for himself. Well, you know, that's that's part of the problem. Yeah, it's called Monday night quarterbacking, number one. Number two is, you know, unfortunately, when you're handling a case, you can't just be out there talking about every detail. So the attorney that you spoke to doesn't know what we know, in all fairness to him. Um, and that that's just the way it is, right? So... There's a so you don't regret that decision? Not, no, not at all. And we, we have to also keep it in context. Um, you know, I would say 99% of the time, you don't have your client testify, right? So that, that would be going against the tide to begin with. Agreed. The decision that we made uh, for him to not testify, uh, we still stand by that decision. And, and perhaps in the future we could talk about all the details of the case that led us to that point. Gotcha. Yeah, so, it's so, just on Steve's point real quick, another thing that the average person doesn't understand, even a lot of experienced attorneys that don't do what we do, is – when you have a client testify in front of the grand jury, yeah, it's done maybe even 1% of the cases. It looks completely different than a courtroom. We're there, but we can't, we can't voice objections. You right. can't do anything to defend right. the client. The, the, the term is you're a potted plant as a defense. You leave him out on an island, basically. So, so you're, you're, put, you're yeah. putting him out there for the district attorney to, you know, have their yeah. day. Yeah. Uh, and of course, everything is transcribed and then they can manipulate that and use that against your client. That's why it's so rare yeah. for it ever to occur. Just to repeat myself, I was with you guys. I think you guys made the right move. So uh, on the way out then, is it fair to say that based upon what looks like a colossal amount of evidence? Now, again, that doesn't always work for us, right? I mean, OJ Simpson played golf and dated white women for many, many years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we just never know. But based upon what we know up to this point, it seems almost impossible that the verdict will be guilty for Daniel Penny. But, of course, you have to wait uh, till the – listen, you can't you can't call the score until the game is played, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, you fight the fight uh, and, and, and you don't know, take anything for granted. You don't leave any stone unturned, as, as Razor pointed out. I mean, we have a you know, team of lawyers, team of experts. We, we, thankfully, we have the resources because of the legal fund, and money still continues to come in, and we need it. Um, but, yeah, you know, neither of us can conceive of a situation where 12 jurors unanimously agree that our client is guilty and we think he's going to be acquitted. But it's awful that he has to go through the situation. It's really awful. So, Steve, uh, mm-hmm. moving forward for folks who uh, love you guys like I do and would love to, uh, you know, hire you guys, quite frankly, down the road. What's the easiest way to get in touch with Razor and Kniff? Well, you can look us up online, uh, RazorandKniff.com. Uh, you could also call our office. Our numbers are there. Our emails are there. We're very accessible. 
Uh, typically, if someone calls our office, you know, we're, we're available via cell phone. You know, we text our clients. So we have a good relationship with our clients. So just go online, look us up, RaisnerKniff.com. Or call 212-274-0090 today. <laughs> 212-274-0090. Is that right? That's right. Call that yep. number today. Look, I've got a lot of friends who are attorneys, Joseph Takapina, dear friend, 47 years, author Idala, 46 years. My wife is a great attorney. But uh, you guys are right there at the top of the list with those guys in terms of friendship, respect. You're both brilliant. You're both heroes. And you're both very handsome, which is all that really matters. And, uh, <laughs> right back at <laughs> So thank you for coming in today and continued success. And let's continue this conversation until we find out the day that Daniel Penny is, in fact, innocent. All right. Thanks, Sid. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for all, all right. you do for us, thank man. Thank you. You got appreciate it. appreciate it. You got it. All right. We'll take a uh, short break. We got Noam coming up with the news. And then we'll talk Super Bowl with part of that legendary Mike and the Mad Dog combination. That's right. WFAN legend Mike Francesa. Coming up after the news, and then we'll talk to Bill O'Reilly. Keep it right here, 8 o'clock. Let's sit. This life livable, when you think I'm happy, when you see a love, I'll take more than another river And informative. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. Nothing is more American than the Super Bowl. And at Mar-a-Lago, Fox News' Sean Hannity had a chance to talk with the 45th President of the United States, Donald Trump. Mr. President, happy Super Bowl Day. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. I love sports. I think sports mirror life. You know, you got to learn to win. Sometimes you don't always win. I know you're not sick of winning, is my guess. Um, but also, the harder you work, the better you do. That's very Americana. Um, what do you love about sports? Well, it is. It's sort of a little bit of a microcosm of life. You know, you have winners, you have champions, you have people that you expect to see that final play. You have great coaches like Belichick. Uh, you have people that you expect more out of. And oftentimes they produce. Then you have people that you just don't expect they're going to do it. And oftentimes they don't. It's a microcosm of life. It's my guy Donald Trump, and that was the last... Super Bowl interview that Donald Trump did. Of course, also my friend Sean Hannity, Fox News. Joe Biden now for two consecutive years, declining to do the traditional Super Bowl halftime interview. What a coward Joe Biden is. Miranda Devine wrote a column today in the New York Post. Donald Trump is not afraid to face the nation on Super Bowl Sunday, unlike Joe Biden. And Miranda will join me coming up after Bill O'Reilly coming up at 9.15 this morning. But I want to, before I bring up my next guest, I went to um, Crystal Springs Resort in New Jersey Christmas. And I was working out in the gym, and they had ESPN on. I don't watch ESPN. But a dog was on. I love dog. Russo's on this show at least uh, once or twice a month. 
And uh, they didn't have the sound on, but I can read uh, the words at the bottom of the screen. And Russo was going on and on about how the Chiefs are done. They're done. They're losing to bad teams. They're embarrassing. The run is over. And Chris wasn't alone. I think uh, those three other people on the panel don't know who they were, but they kind of agreed. And that was kind of the consensus that the Chiefs were done. And don't look now, but the Chiefs are back in the Super Bowl. Again, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Andy Reid, Taylor Swift, all of them. And that sets up this matchup on Sunday between the 49ers and the Chiefs. Same matchup we had three years ago, second time in four years. So my next guest, when you talk about legendary sports talkers, he's at the very top of the list, part of that legendary Mike and the Mad Dog combination all those years at WFAN. Now does his own podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers, the Mike Francesa podcast. And he is the great, and I mean the great, Mike Francesa. Mike, uh, good uh, good Super Bowl week Thursday morning. How are you, buddy? Good, Sid. How are you? Um, and that was a terrible take because although the Chiefs had a bad patch in the season, and they did, they were in a very easy division. They were never not going to make the playoffs. They were locked into the playoffs from early in the season on. So they were, had a chance to fix their problems, and they did. They fixed the problems they had to fix. And they've taken probably as hard a road here to the Super Bowl as any team has ever taken because to have to go to Buffalo and win and have to go to Baltimore, which was the most talented team in the league this year, and win, and that was a physical, nasty game. It shows you the road they've taken. The San Francisco road has been the complete opposite. They've been home against two teams they should have beaten. They should have lost to Green Bay. And they were down 24-7 to the Lions before they snapped uh, into it with a big run of 27 straight points in the second half. So San Francisco's looked very shaky in the postseason, and the Chiefs have been very impressive in the postseason. That's why I'm surprised that the Niners are a two-point favorite. I, uh, oh, my. I, I, yeah. I really am. I think that it's a bad line. I think you're getting a couple of points. I thought it should be Pickham. Listen, the Niners have a lot of numbers based on their regular season dominance. They were very dominant in the regular season. Their offense is incredibly explosive. But what's going to make this game fascinating, uh, Sid, is this. I believe that Spags, who is Spagnuolo, is a very good defensive coordinator for the Chiefs. They have a very good young defense. They have a lot of very good young players behind Chris Jones. They are going to take away McCaffrey. They are going to say, listen, Purdy's going to beat us or you're not going to win. We are going to make you put the ball in Purdy's hands. They're going to bring, I think, they're going to load the box. They're going to put six and seven guys in the box. They are going to take away the running game. They're not going to let San Francisco run the ball and then play action off the run. They are going to make them throw the ball to win. And I think it'll be very interesting to see how good Purdy is. We'll learn really how good Purdy is. And we don't know yet how good Purdy is. That's a good point. And you talk about the defense. I'm glad you brought that up, Mike. And uh, Spagnola, of course, giant fans are very familiar. He won a Super Bowl with us here working for Tom Coughlin. But that chief defense against both Allen and Lamar Jackson has been great. We talk a lot about Mahomes and Kelsey and all that. But the chief defense is really why they're here. And uh, listen, Brock Purdy, great young quarterback. He's had great success. But he has not won that big one. He lost the one to the Eagles last year. Mahomes continues to win big games. I find it almost disrespectful to make the Chiefs and Pat Mahomes at this point an underdog because you'd have to agree in the last, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, the Kansas City Chiefs at this point are, are, are falling into uh, that, that conversation about one of the all-time great teams. No? No question. Sid, the, the, the Chiefs, and when you think Chiefs, you're talking coach, quarterback. That's the 
in the NFL coach quarterback. So you're talking Reed Mahomes. They are on the verge of immortality. If they win this game, they are both immortals. Now, they might get there anyway. Andy Reed's already second most winning as coach in postseason history. He's won two Super Bowls, which gives him the credibility he needed. He's already won 25 play, uh, postseason games. The bottom line is they are on the verge of being one of the dominant teams in the history of the sport. If they win another Super Bowl here, that's three in a very short amount of time. That is a dynasty, and that's what we're looking at. Mahomes has a lot of career left. And you don't know if a guy's going to get to the Super Bowl, always go to Dan Marino. His second year, he lost to Montana. Everyone said, ah, you'll be back 10 times. He never got back. He never went back to another Super Bowl you know, in the, the, his the, the, life. There's a funny story about that you just mentioned, Mike. I'm glad you did because I worked in Miami for 16 years, as you know. They were actually in the limousine after the game, right? So it's Marino in the back of the car, and he's got Nat Moore and Jimmy Seppolo. And, and the guy, Marino, goes to Seppolo. He goes, why do you look so down? And Jimmy goes... Oh, we just lost the Super Bowl, Dan. And Dan goes, to your point, don't worry, we'll be back. And they never got back. And a guy as good as Marino, and Marino was as good as any. Listen, people judge quarterbacks by how many Super Bowls they win, which is a little ridiculous because no one can tell you that there's been better quarterbacking than Dan Marino. Dan Marino was as good as anybody who ever played. He just didn't win a Super Bowl. Dan Fouts was a great quarterback. He didn't win a Super Bowl. It happens. The bottom line is, though, it's very hard, and you don't know what Mahomes' life is going to be, nor do I. And the bottom line is he'll have a, a drought. We know that'll happen. That's football. But the bottom line is he has a chance to win three, and three is immortality. As a coach, it puts you on the highest level. As a quarterback, it puts you on the highest level. So they are on the verge of complete immortality. And here's the thing about this game, which you mentioned when you talked about Kansas City not being favored. Kansas City has the better defense. Kansas City has the better coaching staff. Kansas City has the better quarterback, and they have, by a wide margin, the better kicker. That's a lot. Yeah. You're asking the San Francisco offense to dominate the game. Otherwise, you have to like Kansas City in this game. They're better in every other area. That's a great point. They really are, unless unless you're buying into Nick Bosa. I mean, if Nick Bosa can uh, right. take care of Jawan Taylor and make Mahomes miserable, to me, that's their better chance. Look, the Niners are not well, going to score a lot of points. That's chance, really. Right. You're right. They have to embarrass the Kansas City tackles, who are not great. And that's something they may have to adjust to. And and I'm sure they've spent a lot of the week figuring how – and Kansas City's going to have penalties. Their right tackle is a flag machine. We know that. Okay. The bottom line, though, is their offensive line is pretty good. It was really good when their left guard was healthy and when he's not healthy. Allegretti's going to play there. It's a little bit of a weakness. The bottom line is they're still good on the offensive line. They're very good in a couple of spots. They're a little weak in a couple of spots. They have a deficiency at the tackle compared to San Francisco's edge rushes. But they will exploit the edge rushes, Kansas City, by making them the rush hurt them. Because all those guys are is pin your ears back and rush guys. And they have to get there. If they don't get there, if Mahomes is getting the ball off, or if they are taking that away with their play calling, then I think San Francisco's in big trouble. San Francisco has to outscore Kansas City to win this game. Kansas City can actually win the game with their kicking game and their defense and their quarterback making the stellar plays you know he will make at times during the game. That's enough for them to win. San Francisco has to be a machine offensively. Otherwise, they're going to lose the game. And Shanahan's got ghosts in this game. 
and ghosts show up in this game. He was the coordinator at 28-3 with the lead against the Falcons, which was the greatest collapse I've ever seen in sports and was the dumbest coaching I've ever seen from a sideline in my entire life. If you had locked the guys in a room, the, Chief, the Falcons would have won the Super Bowl by two touchdowns. They were ridiculously bad in their decision-making. And then he had a 2010 lead over the Chiefs a couple of years ago in Miami. And... I was at that game with my with my boys and with Julio. We were at the game. He's a big Niner fan. My son Harrison's a big Kansas City fan, so they both were going back and forth. And the Chiefs exploded for three touchdowns in the last nine minutes to go away and win 31-20. So he's had a couple of tough Super Bowl experiences that he's got to overcome, and he's had a lot of Super Bowl success now in recent years. And that plays. It really does. Yeah. Mahomes is going to be cool under pressure. You're not going to shake Mahomes. You might beat him up, but you're never going to shake him. Uh, we don't know that about Purdy and Shanahan yet. Andy Reid, it's funny now, Mike. You know, you think back to that. I was there in Jacksonville with Matt Deutsch. I was hosting the midday show with Jody McDonald. It was the year before Beningo joined me. And it was at uh, Eagle Patriot Super Bowl, of course, where right, Donovan McNair was. Super Bowl. Yeah, when McNair yeah. was throwing up in the fourth quarter. Yeah, T.O. had a broken leg. throwing up in, in, in the huddle, which we didn't yeah. know. But they, that was the strangest game. If you go back on a Super Bowl, that game doesn't make any sense. It really doesn't. How badly they called that game and how weird they were with the ball and the way they melted the clock and everything else. It was, it, you know, wonder what went on there. I, I don't think we still know the complete story of what, what happened there, what happened to McNabb in that huddle. But the bottom line is they lost a three point game and Andy couldn't win the big one in Philadelphia. And Kansas City was smart enough to keep him unemployed for two hours and then hire him. And look what he's done in Kansas City. They couldn't win a playoff game for 20 years and now they are a machine. Okay? Now they are the Patriots West. Yeah, they are. And they, yeah. and they continue yeah. to win year after year and they are a fixture in this game now. I love that, Patriots West. This is uh, the great Mike Francesa. Check out his podcast, Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. Now listen, Mike, uh, sports, uh, to me, at this point, is such a great release, especially with what I do every day. I talk four hours about some of the biggest issues issues in the city and across the world. So you need sports. So when I want to have a conversation comparing guys, you know what really annoys me? Don't do that. You can't compare the eras. Now, look, I'm not going to compare Mahomes to Bobby Lane, okay, or Otto Graham. I get that. But over the last 25 or 30 years, I think it's fun to do stuff like that. And while you're mentioning Andy Reid and the success he's had winning the big one in Kansas City, Bill Belichick just left. According to Boomer, it was uh, actually the Falcons offered Belichick a contract. He said, no, thank you. But he's still wide considered right now, uh, not widely, but maybe the greatest coach of all time, maybe moving ahead of guys like Landry and Shula Brown, the rest of them. Where do you put Andy Reid on the list of all-time great coaches? Andy Reid's right there. He's a great offensive coach, and his level of consistency year after year, you look how many times, and this is what great coaching's about. Listen, you're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days in the postseason. You're going to have heartbreak. If you play in enough Super Bowls, you're going to lose some. That's just part of it. I mean, Belichick's lost some heartbreaking games, and he should have lost more. He won a couple that he stole. He stole the Seattle one. He stole the Atlanta one. So the, he could easily have two more losses. The Giants broke his heart twice. Uh, so the bottom line is it can happen to anybody there in the one game. But when you look at guys who can churn out, 12 wins, 12 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins, year after year. Go look at how many years Andy Reid between Philadelphia and Kansas City has won double digits. He's won double digits almost every year of his career. That's great coaching. The guy's a tremendous coach. He ranks right with the top. He, I mean, you're not going to put him 
above the best. I believe that the two greatest coaches of all time, and Belichick isn't one of them, okay, are Lombardi, who is the greatest coach and the greatest motivator, and only lost one playoff game in his life, his first championship game, and you know the whole thing, nine yards short, we will never finish nine yards short again. They never lost another game in the playoffs. He was nine in one lifetime. He won 90% of his playoff games. He won every game, big game he had after 1960, the rest of his career. I don't think anybody touches him. Paul Brown is second because he was the innovator of everything that's in modern football, was developed by Paul Brown. He's the most brilliant football mind of all time. There's no debating that. And then you put guys in after that. That's where Belichick is. Belichick ranks with Tom Landry, he ranks with all of them. And they're a great coach. You can take the guy you like. You might like Joe Gibbs. You might like Parcells. You might like Walsh. It doesn't matter. They're all great coaches. They're all great, great coaches. I mean, there's no difference between Belichick and Parcells. As a matter of fact, if you gave me one game and asked me to coach the one game, I would say, let me see what I have on the field, and then I'll tell you whether I take Parcells or Belichick. i tell you right now, I might take Parcells. Well, let me say this. Belichick was a great one-game coach, too. So he was. There's so many great coaches. Belichick is an amazing coach for two reasons. He changed the game dramatically. What Belichick left as his, his symbol and what is that he gave the game was this. Before Belichick, teams played a certain way. The purple people eaters were the purple people eaters. The Cowboys were the multi-flex offense and the flex defense. The Bears were the monsters of the midway. You had one way of playing, and that was it. Belichick decided, no, we're going to play this week against that opponent, and we're going to design our game plan and be that team. Maybe we're four wide this week. Maybe next week we line up with a jumbo set and we run the ball 50 times. The bottom line is he now made it a week-to-week game, and now everybody does that. Yeah. And that's what he changed in the sport dramatically. He changed that. He brought that into the sport. He innovated a lot of things. A lot of things that are done in the fourth quarter were all developed by Belichick. Oh, I can go into the chapter and verse with you if we had enough time. Well, but, but I, I, but I, but I can play that. He's a brilliant, brilliant coach, he and he is. deserves to be in the top five of but I can play devil's advocate here for a second, and yeah. uh, here's where you're going to gobble me up, and I'm ready for that. I'm okay yeah. with that. Uh, Parcells won in a bunch of different places, okay? Uh, right. You know, Belichick had the one double-digit win sin in Cleveland. I get that. Then he goes to New England. Now, now, listen, he had Lawrence Taylor when he coached the Giant defense. He goes to New England. Uh, Mike, since Tom Brady's left, he's nine games under 500. So he right. had Taylor with the Giants. He had Brady with the Patriots. You remove those guys. Not a ton of success. Are we overrating Bill Belichick? No. See, listen, if you go through all of them, they all had great players. Landry lost Super Bowls when he wasn't smart enough to play Roger Staubach at quarterback, okay? Uh, he played True. Craig Morton in a game instead of Staubach, which you look back on and say, what are you, out of your mind? True. Okay? His own players were telling him, Tom, play the other guy. He didn't like that he broke the plays, so he didn't play him because he would not stay to the game plan, and he liked to improvise. And Landry wasn't ready for his improvisation, so he didn't play him. You, all players have great players. Walsh had great players. Gibbs is amazing because he won with three different quarterbacks. So three Super Bowls with three different quarterbacks. And by the way, almost had four. If Jake Schrader yeah, beats it, the Giants, he could I have mean, four. Gibbs is, an, <laughs> is a great coach, a great coach. I mean, so, and Walsh, I mean, all of them, they're all great coaches in their own regard. But you're not going to win without talent. And the thing, here's what Belichick has done. He's been exceedingly stubborn. And he did not allow other people's opinions to help him. He is not good at picking 
skilled position players on offense. He is not at a good. He does not have a good eye for quarterbacks. He does not have a good eye for wide receivers. The bottom line is he's a brilliant tactician. He's a great defensive coach. He's a brilliant special teams mind. He is not a great offensive mind. That's not his yep. thing. He's great at stopping offenses, right. but he doesn't pick players well, and he has not picked players well in New England, and they were left without any talent. Fair enough on the way out then, Mike. And I love Belichick, by the way. I just wanted to see what you were going to say because you know the history of this league better than anybody. So hey, Listen, uh, I think he, they're, they're all good, and they all have weaknesses. Yes. But, uh, to me, when they say the greatest coach undisputed, he's not. He, I give him great credit for his longevity, which is amazing, but to me, there's only one Lombardi that's why his name's on the trophy. Fair enough. Although Chuck Noll, by the way, was 4-0, but he had oh, 18 Hall of Famers. Yeah. Again, uh, a brilliant coach <laughs> who gets left in between the cracks. But yeah, yeah, he does. Absolutely. Four games, four wins. But you know what? Look how many Hall of Famers he had on that team. I okay. mean, the whole team was Hall of Famers. The whole team on offense and defense. You're right. So on the way out, based upon the majority of this discussion, it's easy to figure out, Mike, that you like the Chiefs. Uh, I don't want to... Well, I've been on the Chiefs. I've been on the Chiefs against the Bills, and I held my breath. I was on the Chiefs against the Ravens, even though I think the Ravens were the best team, and let's be honest, if Flowers doesn't get stupid and first get the penalty and then fumble the ball on the way into the end zone, if that's a touchdown, I think Baltimore's here. And Baltimore... Is, was ferociously talented. Ferociously talented. They killed the Chiefs in the second half. The Chiefs couldn't get a first down in the second half. They basically held on for dear life. Uh, so the best team doesn't always win. I don't think the best team is here. But the teams that are here... I think Kansas City gets the edges, and I think they'll win a close game. Uh, huge to have you here on this uh, Thursday, Mike, just a couple of days before this big Super Bowl. I can't thank you enough. You know, I love you. Thank you very much. My it pleasure, means a lot sir. to me. Thank you, Mike. Success. See thank you, Mike. All right. Take care. There he is, the great Mike Francesa. Check out his podcast, the Mike Francesa Podcast, brought to you by Bet Rivers. So we go from one legend in sports, Mike Francesa, to the best ever in my business now, Bill O'Reilly. We're talking Big Bill. He's coming up. Hit the mic. I know the score. At the back of my hand. Them other boys. I don't give a damn. They kiss on the ring. I carry the crown. Nothing can break. Nothing can break me down. WABC. This is Sit in Friends in the Morning. No, I get by with a little help from my friends. This guy shot himself today. Is that what happened, Lewis? <laughs> yeah, on this date. 
I hope you give the eulogy for me when I'm gone. I really go. Uh, the last thing Louis did, he, he hit a music yeah. fed for me, and that's it. He's gone. Hey, that's listen. It. He's gone. There's nothing we can do. The best one ever was still Bernard. God rest his soul when... Um, Stephen Hawking. No. Well, no. that was hilarious. Yes. What are you going to do now, genius? Yeah. No. When... Uh, <laughs> When e Aretha Franklin died, we, we the first segment all Bernard talked about was how she wasn't as good as Diana yeah, Ross. Ross. Yeah, it wasn't even well, that. But what's sounds, this guy's name? Del Shannon. Yes. Yeah, but yeah. he was um, he was pretty big in the sixties. Yeah. But he did. He suffered from depression and a self-inflicted gunshot wow. in 1990. Well, that's such I, a great song. Oh, 1990 years yeah. later. And you know yeah. who he was good friends with oh. was Tom Petty. Oh, Tom really? Petty was a he was his hero. Oh, and. I was just reading this, and and with Jeff Lynn from ELO, yeah. when they were getting the Traveling Wilburys together. Okay, he almost replaced Roy Orbison. No kidding, they almost brought him in. There was a rumor about it. Well, I'm glad they picked Orbison though. Sit in friends in the morning, seventy-seven WABC. Every time I look. Traveling Wilburys, nice job, Lewis, with Roy Orbison, Tom Petty, and the whole crew. Great song, Traveling Wilburys. He was the best, he still is the best, he'll always be the best. Whether it's 9 p.m. weeknights right here on WABC or his own amazing website, BillOReilly.com. Great articles, great information, great interviews, great TV. Nobody better. Killing Series 13 and Killing the Witches, the latest. He's got a big new book coming out later on this spring. He is the best, Bill O'Reilly. And you know, Francesa, of course, is neighbors with Bill there on Long Island. I'm not sure they're next-door neighbors, but they live very close by. And they both know a lot about sports. I've had O'Reilly on talking Super Bowls for years. He's not just about Trump or uh, Kathy Hochul. So let's get right to it, Bill. Following Francesa, Super Bowl 58 coming up on Sunday. He likes the underdog Chiefs. I like the underdog Chiefs. Who does Bill O'Reilly like? Well, first of all, Francesca kicked me off his lawn. I think everybody should know that. <laughs> and secondly, I thought wait, wait, that was hold him on, singing. Hold on, hold on. You, you, that, that's a true story, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I, hey, don't go near Francesca's lawn, okay? And I was, I was just walking the terror dog, and I went, hey, hey, what you doing here? I said, oh, geez, I'm sorry, Mike. I didn't really mean that. Uh, yeah, and the dog was like shaking, God, looking at me like, who's that? Oh, no, it's a good laugh. Oh, God, because that uh, could okay. happen. <laughs> Super Bowl, I'm going with San Francisco. <clears throat> but the teams are evenly matched. I would not bet the game. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, I'm not a big better, and I don't like all this betting stuff. Because I think it um, uh, taps into people who can't afford to bet and kids and things like that. And I, I just don't like it. I'm not um, a hypocrite. Once in a while, I'll lay some coin down. In fact, I won 9 out of 10 against the spread. 
and the bookie was in tears when he had to pay me. <laughs> uh, there's a true story. I believe you. The guy was like shaking, yeah. handing me over the envelope, which uh, I gave most of it away to charity. But um, the reason I'm going with the Niners is Brock Purdy. How about that for a name? Brock Purdy. Love it. Uh, I think he's just a um, quarterback of destiny this year. Um, uh, Francisco made a very good point that uh, Kansas City just held down with the Ravens. They didn't dominate the Ravens. Um, they didn't walk on through there. It looks to me like Shanahan, who was an underrated coach for the Niners, um, he can exploit some of the Kansas City weaknesses. They're not as quick as they used to be on offense because they lost Tyreek Hill, who I understand is married 18 times in Miami, <laughs> which is easy to do. You know, if these players go to Miami, you, you can get multiple marriages going on in months down there. Um, and so they, they, they don't really have uh, as good an offense as they used to have. But here's the key to the game. They have a running back named Pacheco, Kansas City. He went to Rutgers. And that's right. He's a local guy. If he gets more than 80 yards on the ground, Kansas City will win because he'll keep the ball away. I like that. Um, from San Francisco. I like so that. Keep your eye on that. I like that. Pacheco, more than 80 yards. I think that's a very, very good analysis. Yep. One more on the game, then we'll take a break and talk about how brilliant you've been all week long, talking about Hochul, talking about McConnell, all your morning messages. I swear to God, but I'm not blowing smoke up here. Absolutely brilliant. But the game is uh, Biden, for the second consecutive year, has now declined the interview at halftime. I know that he can't put two sentences together, and he needs a teleprompter, and he can't talk for more than two minutes. But this is an age-old tradition, Bill. What kind of coward is this guy? Well, I understand that after uh, Tucker Carlson interviews Putin, he's going to interview Biden. I don't know if that's true. That just it might be a rumor. So this is really, you know, I did three Super Bowl interviews. They're all posted on BillOReilly.com, and they were tough interviews. Who were the presidents? I know you did Obama and Trump. Who else? Obama twice. Obama twice. They were great and, interviews. They were yeah, great. Tonight on uh, Common Sense at 9 o'clock on WABC, I'm going to run the Benghazi portion of the my Super Bowl interview with um with um Obama. Really? Yeah, and it's really good. But here's a little background. Fox Sports they hated that. They were so nervous when I did the interviews because Fox had the games at the Super Bowl. Right. And then <clears throat> I was the designated interviewer to do it. And Fox goes, don't you have anybody else? Can we do somebody from Fox and Friends? Because they didn't want that kind of heavy-duty stuff because it would confuse Terry Bradshaw. (laughs) He wouldn't know. (laughs) And so this is actually true because these were live interviews. They were live. Yeah, they were great. Before the game. They were great. And, And the Fox News personnel with me in the White House, they were on the phone with the Fox Sports guys are going, that's too tough. That's too tough. Back away. <laughs> oh, my God. I don't listen to anybody and just did the interview the way I wanted to do it. And it turned out great. They were great. And, and all those guys respected you. Look, you, you happen to be, I told you, I told you the truth. I loved you for years. But when you interviewed Trump during his historic win, before his win in 2016, there was no one like you because the Trump supporter just suck up to Trump. 
the Trump hater just made his life miserable. You were the only person who actually gave it to him, good to him when it deserved, and he showed this respect. And that's when I said, oh, my God, Bill O'Reilly is far and away the best ever. Let's take a short break. When we get back, rough couple of days for the House Republicans and um, a whole bunch of stuff going on in Israel. We're going to talk to the great Bill O'Reilly. Continue this great conversation right after this. I live my life. In the morning, 77 WABC. Uh, let's get back to uh, the great Bill O'Reilly here. I mentioned earlier, Bill, that uh, this race, Pillip and uh, Swazi, you know, she actually had a super sp- uh, pack, spent over a million dollars. They're going to run a Super Bowl ad during the game from Mozzie Pillip. Now, you're a Nassau County guy, so... This race, uh, you would you think at least, would be near and dear to you because you live there. Uh, you have any thoughts on this race? I mean, are you are you vested in this race? Well, Newsday has uh, Swazi up by four. Um, boy, you know, um, it's very hard to call this. You got a tremendous division in uh, the third district where I live on Long Island Um, and Queens, you have a lot of Asian voters in there. I have no idea where they're going to go. And that is really a key to this. Um, You know, liberals and conservatives, we know where they're going. Um, The uh, Mozzie machine is formidable and they are tying Swazi to Biden. You just heard it on WABC. Um, that's going to be effective, but it really, you know, those Asian voters in Queens, I just don't know which way they're going to go. That's fair. And I think you're right about that. And that's why this race, basically, no matter who you talk to, unless it's Peter King or Joe Cairo, is about 50-50, just a couple of days away, coming up on a Tuesday. Keep it local one more, then we'll get to the, the national scene. Sure. I heard you talking a couple of days ago about Hochul. In fact, Hochul was on CNN this morning, the governor here in New York. She's uh, she's out there now. All of a sudden, she's critical of bail reform, even though she continued without any issues. What Andrew Cuomo started. Then, of course, she was critical of Alvin Bragg after this whole migrant deal in Times Square. But as you pointed out, and I have too, there's only one person who can remove Alvin Bragg. So yeah. if you're really upset about the guy who happens to be a horrible DA, who he's just bent on getting rid of Trump, she can do it. So right off the bat, you see what a phony this woman is. Yeah, they're going to do a remake of Casablanca and uh, give the um, uh, give the police chief role that Claude Rains played to Captain Holcomb. And oh, I'm shocked! I'm shocked that Alvin Bragg would let them go. Um, really? So it's a game. 
you know, the, uh, the game is that I'm the governor, and I'll reflect all the outrage of the moment uh, because people will really forget about it a week later, but I'll be outraged like they are, but I'm certainly not going to fix the problem. Why would I do that? Because my progressive base loves Alvin Bragg, and I'm not going to mess with him, even though I could remove him tomorrow. Um, and now you have an overwhelming case to remove Mr. Bragg. Overwhelming. Who's going to stick up for Bragg? Who? Now, they would grumble, the progressives would grumble, but there's not going to be any popular surge to stick up for him. So now's the time to remove him. Because the guy, I don't even know him, I've never spoken with him, but he doesn't want to enforce the law. You know, and, and that thing in Times Square where the 14 migrants attacked the two police officers, that was horrendous. I made page one. But if you read yesterday the New York Post, which is really the only vehicle, the media vehicle in New York, doing aggressive local reporting, there's a guy who was arrested, what, 85,000 times? Yes. Jumping the turnstiles? Yep. And nothing happens to him. No. And at, at that point, that's anarchy. So you can make a really good case, legal case, that the district attorney of Manhattan is promoting anarchy. Of course. Somebody, he's not enforcing the law, and that's his oath. So easily remove him, easily. So the question then becomes, why aren't you not removing him? Well, I got the answer, so do you. So. Well, it's politics. Right, but more than that, it's, it's one specific person. Uh, it's not about the oath. His oath was not to keep New Yorkers safe. His oath was, like Letitia James, to do the best he can to remove Donald Trump. And, yeah, I know. And this case so, is about also, to happen. <clears throat> she hates him. She hates Trump. And this case is about to happen. If the gubernatorial vote was held in November, this November, Zeldin would beat Hochul. You think so? Oh, yeah. Because it is just a continuation. And even the liberal New Yorkers have got to understand, you have to protect your police. You can't be letting people who assault police officers out with no bail. That's insane, dangerous, and irresponsible. And if if somebody doesn't believe that, you shouldn't have anything to do with that person because they're dangerous. What do you think about Eric Adams offering up $53 million for credit cards for illegals? Well, he was assured that he's going to get reimbursed by uh, the Biden administration on that. And if that border bill had passed, he would have. But there was no chance that border bill was ever going to pass, even in the Senate. You know, I didn't think it was going to pass, but a lot of people did. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The the press was way behind it, pushing it like crazy. The House Republicans, and, and you say this all the time, you know what that bill was? And I'll give you credit again. All that bill was, was exactly what Biden's philosophy is, amnesty. That was one big amnesty bill. That's it. And it wouldn't have stopped it, all right? You would have still had thousands of people a day coming on in here. But what the Democrats were hoping was what exactly what would happen in the Mayorkas impeachment vote, that they could cleave off three or four Republicans, which is doable. And... So then the bill would have passed in the House and in the Senate if the senators had rallied around Langford, which they did not. 
Remember, Mitch McConnell, who I've called to step down now because I think he's 112. Um, <laughs> I mean, this guy. Yeah. yeah, I know Biden's old, but this guy, you know, come on. You know, the golden girls is going to be the golden guy. <laughs> it's going to be Mitch. It's going to be Biden. When they all get out, there's going to be a sitcom. There yeah. they are. Yeah. Um, it's going to be great. And by the way, the, the age is the least of their problems. Biden, I believe, this is me, is crooked and a bad guy. Same thing with McConnell. This guy, McConnell, is inept. He's bought. He has done things. He talked about Kate's law this morning that are grotesque. He's yeah. backstabbed Trump a million times. He's not just old. He's a bad guy. He's got to go. He's got to go. I don't. I, I wouldn't say he's corrupt um, in the sense that he took money or anything. I, there's no evidence to show that. But McConnell got behind this insane border bill. And, and now he, he don't hear a word of it because it all fell apart for him. Um, so we are living in obviously turbulent times. And, you know, you're exactly correct. We need some relief, some sports, some fun, and, and because it's enough already. One more thing. I didn't like the Adams, and I hope he's listening to the show, but, it, you know, some of his people are, and it'll get to him. I didn't like the chocolate remark. Oh, God, no one did. You know, look, Mayor. I understand uh, your accomplishments in life, and I respect them. And the same thing with the police commissioner, Connor. I, I, I mean, if you look at that guy's resume and what he's done with his life, I respect that. But you guys shouldn't be hiring anybody based on skin color, okay? That's not the litmus test for a successful government. And and these guys seem – not Connor. I mean, he's – police – I have no problem with the police commissioner. But the mayor seems to be proud of the fact that he's going out of his way to hire people on their basis of their skin color. And gender. He, uh, black people and women. Women, especially. Yeah, I mean, the women thing's a little bit more complicated. But when you're, like, searching out to fill key positions and the number one priority is your skin color? Yeah. Come on. Well, he's also made of – and look, again, I, I, uh, I don't think he's a good mayor. And I've told him that. I, I kind of like him personally. We've had a lot of uh, afternoons and, and evenings together. But he has done that before. He, he he did refer to white cops as crackers many years ago. He has called out the white media yeah, time and time I, he's again. to get away from that. But yes. That's just, that doesn't reflect well on him personally. I got one question for you. You may know this. because Did, did uh, Curtis Lee would beat up Sean Hannity or something like that? <laughs> Did the Guardian Angels uh, kick the living daylights out of Hannity on his own show? What happened there? No, Sean is safe. Uh, Sean did the smart thing, Bill. He moved to Palm Beach. (laughs) He's out of here. So he was safe in his studios in Palm Beach, but he was, Curtis was on Sean's show. It was hysterical. Yeah, I know, buddy. What do you think they set it up? Do you think Curtis and the the Angels? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure. We'll go go on Hannity, (laughs) and then about... 30 seconds into the interview, which yeah. is live, yeah. we'll start beating the hell out of some guy. Okay? It'll be great. We'll get all kinds of publicity. You know, it's funny you bring up, Sean. I know you guys uh, have been friends for many, many years. And, you know, you were always the best. And since you left, I guess he's that guy, I guess. But... um you know, he he moved close to Trump. That's what every, everybody now, when you're Chris Ruddy or you're Sean Hannity, you got to move close to Trump. That's how it works, you know. And he ran out on Long Island. That's fine. You know, the taxes are bad. You got the crime and all that. But as a guy, Bill, that is staying right there on Long Island, do you get angry with people like Sean Hannity who just get up and quit? No, because uh, 
you're an American. I mean, you you have to weigh it. Um, I don't ever second guess anybody's personal decisions or where they want to live or even how they want to live unless they're hurting someone else. Um, you know, look, I don't want to leave New York, and I've said that. I've got my business here, my family here. I've got friends from first grade. You know, I don't want to go down to Florida. I lived in Florida for two years. It's too hot for this Irish. <laughs> it is hot, man. The yeah, summer's from May until October. Everyone in Florida is sweating. It's true. Everyone is perspiring. It's true. I hated yeah. it there. Hated that. You go out of the house <laughs> and your shoes melt. It's true. I know. Yeah. I mean, you got to like that. It's like living in Maine. All right. If you're going to move up to Maine, it's going to be chilly <laughs> most of the year. Yeah. But, so New York, now with the global warming, we really live in North Carolina now. Basically, I mean, that's yes. where we are. Yeah, that's the same climate. You're right. I was in my garage the other day, and I got all the urchins when they were little. <laughs> I got the sleds and the skates and then this. What sleds? Oh, I mean, you know, if you were making sleds, if that were your business, yeah. you're gone. Yeah. you got to move up to Alaska. It's true. There's no snow. There's no ice. Nope. It's it's and that is true that that climate has changed. But I understand people fleeing New York. It is very hard to live in this state, and they're making it harder and harder and harder. Which is why we need a course correction politically. Bill O'Reilly of the absolute best. This was uh, this is so much fun, and I get Bill O'Reilly now in the eight o'clock hour and the nine o'clock hour, which uh, selfishly helps my ratings. <laughs> so, so, and this is the biggest rating segment of the week. So, thank you so much. I love you. Enjoy the game on Sunday. We'll do it again next week, Bill O'Reilly. You're the best. Thank you. All right, Sid. I'm glad you're back safe from thank you. Uh, Israel. Good job over there. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. That right. means a lot coming from you. The best ever, still the best ever, Bill O'Reilly. How lucky are we to have Bill O'Reilly every Thursday morning. That is a good stuff, Bill. Let's take a short break. Last hour, we'll talk to Miranda Devine from the New York Post. Why isn't Joe Biden doing the Super Bowl interview? Miranda's got her own thoughts. If the known with the news. Friends in the morning. Entertaining and informative. Oh, you're my best friend. 77 WABC. Have you heard about the lonesome loser? Beaten by the queen of hearts every time. Have you heard about the lonesome loser? He's a loser, but he still keeps on trying.
These guys are Australian, huh, Lewis? Yeah, the last I checked. There. Three, three, the Little River Band. Oh, there we go. That's yeah, right. not Three Rivers. That's no, Pittsburgh. Not three, no, you're not. Uh, Little River Band. That's uh, Glenn. Uh, that's, no. Uh, what was that? Chuck Noll. <laughs> Chuck Noll, 4-0. You know, it's very nice of you because what we do usually is, Lewis and myself, Miranda Devine is going to join us coming up next. She's an unbelievable columnist. Her and Goodwin at the Post are the two best in the country. She wrote a story basically calling out Biden for not doing the Super Bowl interview that Trump did, you know. So every time she comes on, we play Australian music. It could be the church. It could be um, Olivia Newton-John. It could be, who sang Burning Bed? Beds are burning. Med- yeah. Midnight oil. Midnight oil. Yes. <laughs> could be air supply, I guess. Yes. We never did that. In but now you've, you're, now you're actually uh, going to play two Australian bands it's, for Divine. I, I don't know what's up with me. It's <laughs> yeah. craziness. But I wanted to save I want to save the church again for when she's back on so she could hear. I've seen them two or three times. You have? Yes. What, the Beacon Theater? Um, no. How to ch- be? Ch- Chelsea Piers or whatever. The, the, oh, the, 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 the no. City Winery. Oh. Saw them oh, once wow. there at city at the really yeah down before they moved. Wow. That's an oh well now yes. they moved down by Chelsea Pierce and I think Bowery Ballroom was. Before oh, that's cool. That. That's yes. a pretty cool venue. <laughs> the singer is he's known for being a little um, caustic. Yeah, he's, they're really good. They're he's a excellent. liberal though. She hates him. Divine. No, that's Peter Garrett from Midnight Oil. Oh, well, you're right. I confuse right. the two. He is. You're right. he, he was in the Senate, I think. Yes, in Australia. Good. Look at you. Um, and he is. Tall and bald. I mean, he's like six, seven. Wow. So when he, they play, he dances around, and it's crazy. That's cool. Oh, no, he's really, he's a very smart guy, but he is very random. Of course, he's right on it. He's very liberal. And but the guy in the church will make fun of actually their song, some of them. So they did under the Milky Way. My favorite one, yeah. So they were doing the whole album, and that that, that song comes up on the second track so they just did the album in order that yeah. was one of the things they were doing so they finished that song and he goes all right so the great thing about that song is if that's all you came to hear you can go. now you can go home. that's hilarious <laughs> and, and you know what's funny about what you just said i would have gotten up and left yeah, <laughs> okay what's the next place <laughs> just, he's just funny. He's got, he kind of is like a little, he complains at venues. Sometimes. I like that. Like, if, if we could just turn the lights a little bit to the left, uh, the, the band would play, would sound a little bit better. He's I love no, him. Yeah. I love he's him. He's very talented and they have great guitarists in that Let band. Let me ask you this, though. Okay. Because this is how I decide whether I like you or not these days. Me, oh, me. No, not you. I love you. There's nothing you can do outside of killing one of my family members. I'll always love you. (laughs) Not much chance of that happening. Right. I don't think it's going to happen. No. Uh, Here's how I judge you these days. It's not about how musically talented you are, whether you could throw a football, even lead this country. I like you or I don't like you based on one issue these days. I... Can we guess or should? Well, how about this? How about okay, play no. cut number seven? Maybe you should just say it. <laughs> how about play cut number seven and let these bastards figure it out for themselves? Seven. Tonight I want to speak to you about total victory. Our security and the prospects of peace in the Middle East depend on one thing. Total victory over Hamas. At the start of the war, I outlined three goals. Destroy Hamas. Free the hostages 
and ensure that Gaza doesn't pose a threat to Israel any time in the future. Achieving these goals will ensure Israel's security and pave the way for additional historic peace agreements with our Arab neighbors. But peace and security require total victory over Hamas. We cannot accept anything else. There it is, folks. If you're pro-Israel, I love you. If you're pro-Palestinian, you're dead to me. If you're both, you're dead to me. There's no room for both. There's only one side. There's only one win. Leave Bibi alone. The hostage parents, I get it, I get it. When I say I get it, I don't even get it because, thank God, it hasn't happened to me. I couldn't imagine what it must be like. You know how much I love my kids. But I understand why they would be mad at Bibi because all they care about is getting their family home. I, I understand that. Narrow-minded for the future of the country, but I get it. I understand it. I'm a father, too, a son, a brother. But the rest of you, the rest of you, whether it's Joe Biden or folks in New York City, pro-Palestinian folks or people in, in Tel Aviv and Hostage Square that are holding Bibi's feet to the fire because he's not doing enough to get the... What do you want him to do? He's got the most unenviable job in the world right now. Miranda's calling. He's got to find a way, and it's impossible to do both. Listen to me carefully. It's virtually impossible to do both. He's got to find a way to wipe out Hamas and bring those people home. Well, how the hell do you do that without giving Hamas what they want, and this is why they took the hostages in the first place. You can't play into their hands. You can't do that. The future of the country is at stake. This is not hyperbole. This is not being overdramatic. The future of this country is at stake. Israel has never been in bigger trouble in decades than they are right now with what's happening in the south, in the, in the, south, in the south, Judea and Samaria, and what's awaiting them with Hezbollah in the north. This is really dangerous times for Israel. And you don't make decisions for thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, and the future of your country based on 80. You're not, you're not being fair. He wants to get every hostage out. I know he does. And they have tried. We've already had ceasefires. We've had pauses. But for Blinken, this traitor, this piece of garbage, Secretary of State, speaking for the president, another lowlife, Joe Biden, for him to sit with Habas yesterday and talk about how he's competent, we're going to have a two-state solution, is absolutely grotesque. He is a traitor. Do you understand that, folks? Any decent, rational person, not these assholes blocking bridges and tunnels in New York City. Any decent, rational person has to understand that Anthony Blinken is a traitor. All right, I guess the Vine's having phone issues. We'll take a short break. We'll come back and hopefully talk to Miranda. If not, we got lots more to do. Sit and friends in the morning. We'll be right back.
Sid and Friends in the Morning. 77 WABC. I'm so used to Electric Blue, but this is a great song. This is better, actually. Ice House, another Australian band from my beautiful friend Miranda Devine. Before I get to Miranda, I just got this text from Israel from my friend Yehuda Hanekman. He says, Robert Kraft, owner of the New England Patriots, has announced plans to air $7 million stand-up-to-Jewish-hate commercials during Sunday's Super Bowl. The ads will be narrated by Dr. Clarence Jones, the speech writer for Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech. The ads calls on viewers to stand up against anti-Semitism, particularly amidst the hostility towards Israel and Jews in American universities during this Gazan war. In a touching moment, the 93-year-old Dr. Clarence Jones sheds tears upon learning that his ad will be featured during the Super Bowl. By the way, Bob Kraft has built a football stadium in Israel, which I passed. They actually play American football in Israel. And uh, Bob Kraft is a a great Jew. And he owns the Pats, who used to play in this game, but since Tom Brady left, not anymore. Talking about playing in this game, Donald Trump never had an issue doing the interview. He did it with uh, Bill O'Reilly not that long ago. But for the second straight year, Joe Biden has decided I'm not going to do it. That compelled my next guest, the great Miranda Devine, they don't come better, New York Post, to write this. Donald Trump is not afraid to face the nation on Super Bowl Sunday, unlike Joe Biden. So, Miranda, this is great because I love you, I love your writing, and I get football in the same column, (laughs) and not the football you play in Australia, American football. This is great, Miranda, great. Well, thanks, Sid. Great to be with you. Um, Don't you agree that it's just such a lost opportunity for Joe Biden and good on Donald Trump for putting himself up there? And CBS, if they had any brains and they wanted any ratings, should should invite Donald Trump and interview him for that prime role. It's always a softball interview. It's just free. It's just... Manna from heaven, and the the idea that Joe Biden has passed it up two times in a row, and this year an election year, you know, it's a captive audience of what? How many people? Hundred million, hundred and twenty yeah. million people. Yeah. Um, you know, to sell his agenda, and he's walked away from it. So Donald Trump says, "I'd be happy to replace him. It would be ratings gold," and he's right. Right. And and look, let's be honest, okay? If it was Fox News that was doing this, Fox, like when Fox had the Super Bowl locally, Channel 5, they used O'Reilly, right? And and we know that, of course, that Obama wasn't thrilled about that, okay? We also know that Donald Trump didn't do the NBC interview back in 2018. So a lot of these guys play the same tricks. But the truth is, CBS is very Biden-friendly, whether it's Gail King in the morning, as you know, Miranda, or, or, or Margaret Brennan on Face the Nation, or Dickerson. They hate Trump. They love Biden. So it would be an easy, easy interview. But the truth is, he just can't do it unless it's written for him, and it lasts about three minutes in length. He just can't 
do it. Well, look, I think it's outrageous that his handlers are hiding him away. Uh, He should, you know, if he can't do it, he has no business running for president. He has no business with his hands on the nuclear codes. It is very alarming for America and for the entire world. So if he can't manage to get through an easy 15-minute interview with softballs from CBS, then he should not be running for president again. And um, that's the bottom line. He cannot campaign yeah. if he can't cope with well, it. So, yeah. I, mean, um, I mean, really, really, forget about the CBS interview. I mean, <laughs> if you look at the last three years of his presidency, he should not be running for president again. I mean, I just spent all last week yeah. doing this show live in Jerusalem, and uh, I'm looking at the South where young babies were thrown alive into ovens and girls were raped and kids had their mm. eyes cut out and parents were butchered in yeah. front of their own children. I'm looking at the north, maybe minutes away from this war, and uh, no matter how much you like Biden, like my sister and others do, the fact is he's been in bed with Iran, not one, but two administrations who have funded this thing. So at yeah. the very best, at the very best, he's playing on both teams He's also pressuring BB way too much, him and Blinken. So I just spent time in this beautiful country that Biden has taken part in destroying. You're absolutely right. And, you know, he evades responsibility for that. Uh, you know, it, the Iran deal, which was a, an ill-begotten deal, um, he revived after Donald Trump had nixed it cleverly. And, uh, you know... Donald Trump had bequeathed him the Abraham Accords. Um, Jake Sullivan, just a couple of weeks before the October 7 attack, said, um, uh, you know, the Middle East is so calm and peaceful, <laughs> thanks to the Abraham Accords. And then kaboom. And that's all because of their fecklessness. And they don't know what they're doing. And they're so arrogant. Blinken just, you know, wanders around the place looking posh and just a making a botch of everything. He's a traitor. So, he's a traitor. He, he's a tra- yes. Anybody right now, Miranda, anybody, and Blinken uh, actually met with Habas, Habas, the Palestinian leader in Ramallah yes. yesterday, anybody, including Biden, he's done this too, time and time again, asking for a two-state solution. You're going to read in your paper this Sunday. Uh, I don't know if you know Doree. I think you do. Doree Lewak. Yeah. Her and I did a great story about my trip to Israel, and I said this right. flat out. How many buses have to be blown up? How many pizzerias have to be blown up? How many girls have to be raped and murdered before people like Biden and Blinken and all these traitors come to the realization that these Palestinians, they are Palestinians, Hamas. They may be crazy, but they're Palestinians. That these Palestinians don't want land, they want dead Jews. Look, this is just their mentality. It's a Democrat mentality. You look after the human rights of criminals and rapists and murderers and terrorists against the human rights of law-abiding citizens. And that's what they're doing in New York, and it's what they're trying to impose around the world. As you say, they're pressuring Netanyahu. They don't like Netanyahu. They want regime change. They were agitating for it before October 7, and you would think that they would back off now that he has to run this war. But no, they're continuing to pressure him and to try and trip him up and to to foment unrest in Israel, among Israeli people and, and these protests that are going on in Jerusalem against Netanyahu. That weakens Israel.
100% weakens Israel. 100%. So where are we uh, in terms of the Biden crime family, all that magnificent work that you've done over the years? And others have followed, you know, Carlson with Bobolinsky and and also the House, obviously the Republicans in the House, uh, led by Comer, uh, gathering all these bank documents and information. But really, Miranda, you're the one who started, to your credit, this whole thing about the Biden crime family. Where are we with that? Well, the uh, Republicans in the House are just systematically going through all the witness list uh, of people that they have. And you mentioned Tony Bobolinsky, Hunter Biden's former business partner, um, who's a formidable person, uh, a man of great integrity, and he will be testifying next week. So uh, stay tuned for that. That will be bombshell. Um, and we also have uh, Devin Archer, Hunter Biden's former business partner, has also been assisting and I believe will be called uh, back to testify again. He has um, a lot of information. Um, and, you know, one by one, Jim Biden is uh, set to testify or, you know, these are these closed door depositions. Um, the, the president's brother, who was neck deep in this influence peddling operation with Hunter Biden, around the world, um, he's seen uh, as the weak link. You know, he's the Frito of the family, so, uh, or Fredo. Um, so uh, he, may, he may break under questioning. Um, and then there's also Hunter Biden himself. Um, we're not expecting much from that. I'm sure his very expensive lawyers like Abby Lowell will tell him to plead the fifth. Um, but, you know, at, at least uh, every time, I mean, the Democrats always spin these depositions they come out straight away and they tell their lies about what happened. And then when you actually read the transcript a couple of days later, you see the truth is very different. Although uh, Hunter Biden's lawyers and I, I presume the Biden campaign have got to a lot of these witnesses. Uh, Eric Schwerin, a former um, business associate of Hunter Biden's who used to do Joe Biden's tax returns for him for free, um, he testified the other day and they all have this boilerplate statement oh, Joe Biden had nothing to do with it when there's so much evidence that he had everything to do with the family business. Um, but even then, under oath, uh, when they're being grilled for several hours, they do uh, drop a little bit of information and it all adds up to the jigsaw puzzle, I think, that will at least show the American people the truth about Joe Biden before the election, that he's not honest Joe from Scranton. Mm. He's not the poorest man in Congress. Um, he's actually... Uh, presided over this shakedown operation around the world for several decades. Uh, this is Miranda Devine, who's done uh, just incredible work, a great columnist, New York Post, my friend Miranda. So, you know, um, it looks like Nikki Haley may drop out before South Carolina. The truth be told, she's embarrassing herself at this point. She really is. <laughs> I mean, come on. She, she looks like an idiot. She got killed in Iowa. She got killed in New Hampshire. She uh, didn't even show up in Nevada. She lost to somebody not even running. She's down by about 30 points in South Carolina. And I saw today what they're uh, looking at for uh, for uh, Super Tuesday. She's down like like 70 points in like six states. Miranda's 70 I know she hates Trump. I get it. She's become a useful idiot. She's got money in donations, but she's embarrassing herself. And if she has any designs on her real political future, she needs to get out now. So once she does that, we get Trump versus Biden. But is it fair to assume then, Miranda, that if Biden's not going to do a, uh, a Super Bowl interview, is he going to debate Donald Trump? 
of course he's not going to debate Donald Trump. And, you know, he'll he'll use uh, the excuse, he'll have all sorts of insults against Trump. He'll call him an insurrectionist and I'm not going to debate an insurrectionist. And of course, I mean, Donald Trump refused to debate during the primaries, which I disagreed with. But uh, of course, Joe Biden will also use that and say, well, if he didn't if he didn't debate Nikki Haley, then why should I debate him? Um, but like Nikki Haley, as you just said, she lost in the Nevada caucus by 30% to none of the above. People penciled in none of the above. And now she's saying that the, the election was rigged. What a joke. Um, I agree with you. Uh, it's, you know, it's all over. And um, I mean, I, I don't, you know, good on Nikki Haley if she wants to keep on keeping on. I don't think it makes any difference to Donald Trump. Effectively, what he's saying is, and the RNC even admitted weeks ago that he's the presumptive nominee. So uh, I think it's business as usual, but I don't think he's going to get the opportunity to really um, come head to head against Joe Biden. Joe Biden will stage another basement campaign. I mean, as we're saying, he can't even do a Super Bowl interview. Hmm. How is he going to debate Donald Trump? That's a good question. Miranda, as always, uh, I made your wait on hold a little bit. I apologize. You fall behind in spots. But you're so good. You're a great writer. You're great on the radio. You're great on television. You're just great. So thank you for hopping on this morning. Great to catch up. Let's talk again very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sid. Have a great day. You too. The great Miranda Devine, folks. Go read her column. Donald Trump is not afraid to face the nation on Super Bowl Sunday, unlike Joe Biden. That's it, right, folks? We're done. Lou Rufino, you the man. Come on, Louie, baby. Take a bow. There you go. Justin Ellis, great job. Above always, uh, Joe Nolan, great job. Noam Layden, great job. We'll all be back, as my friend Gene would say, God willing, at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning for your pre-Super Bowl Friday show. Until then, from all of us on Sid and Friends in the Morning, to all of you, peace! accident. Trust Gabu Law, personal injury and medical malpractice attorneys with decades of experience who will provide the attention you deserve and deliver the best possible results in the shortest amount of time. Gabu Law has recovered millions for their clients and they will be able to help you, but don't take our word for it. Read their five-star reviews from former clients on Google, Avo, and Facebook. Call Gabu Law today, 800-560-0214 for a free consultation or email them at info at gabolaw.com. That's G-A-B-O law dot com. Gabo Law, where winning is no accident.